Bonjour et bienvenue à la 250. Je m'appelle Darren. Je m'appelle Philippe. 12 points. And this week, uh, to mark Bastille Day, we're talking about one of the French movies in the 250. We're talking about uh, Kieslowski's um, Three Colors Red. I'm not even going to try and say that in French. Trois uh, couleurs rouges. Ah, thank you. And to join us to help with pronunciation. And, and uh, that's all I'm here for. <laughs> is the wonderful Phil Bagnell. So thank you very much for joining us. Oh, not a Hello, problem. Phil. Welcome. Thank you, Andrew. Or uh, douze poids. Or calling you something. <laughs> is that the only French phrase you know? <laughs> First person to say, voulez-vous coucher avec moi, is getting in such a punch. Uh, but yeah, so, no, thank you. <laughs> thank Very point. I just got punched. Uh, in fact, fair douze poids, I think, to be fair. But anyway. Poinch. <laughs> to use the French. Phil is already regretting doing this. But thank you very much for joining us for what's turning out to be a, a kind of a miniature 1994 season. Last week, we talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Return, uh, with <laughs> Luke and Jess Dunn, that 1994 classic starring Matthew McConaughey and uh, Rene Zellweger. Not so all right, all right, all right. Uh, next week, you'll be joining us again to talk about The Lion King, which is another 1994 release. And that'll sort of check off all the movies from 1994 on the top 250. Apart. That Arden Forrest Gump. That, no, we've already, yeah because we've already covered Forrest Gump we've already done the Shawshank Redemption so yeah we've we pretty much covered that year in film except for one, yes. one notable film one which very is very apropos here Bingo yes, which is of course quite famously the film that beat Three Colors Red to the Palm Door yeah and remarkable actually because one of the things about this Three Colors Red is obviously the culmination of uh, Kieslowski's uh, Three Colors trilogy Blue, White and Red and one of the things that I really admire about K- uh, Kieslowski, reading interviews with him, is how incredibly frank he could be and how incredibly, like, very open about, like, what he was doing and why he was doing it. The Three Colors trilogy, for those not aware, was a monumental event in European cinema, released over the course in 1993 and 1994. They were shot over the course of 10 months. They were released over a similar window. And in fact, and Phil probably knows this, one of the reasons that these movies were marketed, released, and produced in the same year, uh, in the intervals that they were, was as part of an attempt to win a grand slam of European film festivals. Mm-hmm. The plan was for these films to take home the Golden Lion at Venice, the Golden Bear at Berlin, and the Palm d'Or at Cannes as sort of like the finishing rally. And they had a certain amount of success. It was in competition. Blue was in competition at Venice. Yes, it tied with shortcuts, I believe, actually. Yes. If I remember correctly, for the lion. The, God, that's so 90s, isn't it? Three Colors <laughs> Blue and Shortcuts. Um, Kieslowski won Best Director for Three Colors White. The Silver, the Bear, Silver yeah. Bear at Berlin. And then, of course, famously, this was pipped at the post to the Palme d'Or by Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and there's another connection there as well in that, like, um, Tarantino, who had was a huge fan of Kieslowski, um, big fan of... Like, all his press at Cannes in 1994 consists of, have you seen Three Colors Red? It's a masterpiece. Uh, but he famously wanted Irene Jacob to play the role of Bruce Willis's wife Maria in Pulp Fiction. Maria role yeah. in Pulp Fiction. But, of course, she was busy filming Red. Yeah, uh, which is a sort of a nice bit of symmetry there. Uh, but actually, just out of curiosity, have we all seen the entire Three Colors trilogy? No, have we seen yeah. uh, Blue and White and, and Red? No. <laughs> no. Have you seen no. any of the other two? No, no, I have not. So you were watching the? Had you seen before today? Had you seen Red? No, no, I have not. <laughs> I, I have not, and never have been a communist. <laughs> um, okay, let's well, make it short. This is kind of interesting because, like, 
Three Colors, the Three Colors trilogy was a big landmark in terms of European cinema, particularly in the 90s. They would have been one of those stalwarts of like the foreign film section in your DVD or video stores way back when. You'd have those three images of the blue, white and red and Juliette Binoche and Vigny Samuchelski and Julie Delpy and Irene Jacob all next to each other. And like they, they were a thing. They were like, yeah. if you want to start with European cinema, you uneducated yanks this is where to go well I mean and, and you say that as somebody who is uneducated and sounds quite like a yank that's exactly what I did have you <laughs> seen the American trailer for Three Colors Red I have not it's one of the most appalling things I've ever seen it was basically cut by Miramax in <laughs> of order course to it was by the Weinstein company yeah, yeah it was boost, you know, to boost its awards chances and like ooh this is prestigious whatever they try and make it look like some kind of spy thriller it's ridiculous Ridiculous. I mean, have you, you've seen, again, it's Miramax. It's the Weinsteins were responsible for marketing. Uh, they also did the Double Life of Veronique as well. Uh, but they were responsible for marketing the Three Colors trilogy in America. And it's kind of amazing to go back and look at it. Because it's like, picture for Blue, the poster is Juliette Binoche staring into middle distance looking forlorn. It's a classic image, yeah. And the pull quote is, mysterious, dot, 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 sexy, exclamation mark. For anyone who is like aware of what Blue is, which is the story of a woman who lost her wife, sorry, her husband and child in a car accident and is trying to deal with the grief of that, mysterious dot 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 sexy exclamation mark seems a little bit misleading. Similarly, with the... I mean, the dot 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 is sexy <laughs> yeah. enough. Like, it's like alone yeah. without putting sexy it's, at the it's end. Like of it. Or the exclamation mark. Like you, you know what dot 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 means random, in a text message, it's just right? Two random words from the first review they found. Yeah. That was it. Two adjectives. But I mean, even white, for but example. Was it mysterious? <laughs> yes, and in a way. Oh, was it, not was as it, mysterious as was it uh, sexy? red. <laughs> it's less way. sexy. It's <laughs> French. It's automatically sexy. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I mean, and then there was. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, wait. Wee wee. And then there was white. Which they sold as a movie starring uh, Julie Delpy. Who, of course, did. This was even before uh, uh, the before before Sunrise. Yeah. Before, so, like, before. Before, before, indeed. Um, but it was very much like, look at these movies. They've got sexy European women in them. What more do you want? It is a kind of a cliche. I mean, it's, it's kind of a risk of films like this and that they star, like, you know, they're actresses. They do get... They, what do I mean? Like, there you are, that they have yeah. a certain attractiveness level. I mean, they, yeah. it's a way of selling movies. It's yeah. always been yeah. done. But and yeah, it does feel like that's all they've got. <laughs> yeah. It's in French. They won't get anything else beyond women. Yeah. It seems churlish to 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 criticize Miramax for kind of the manner in which they kind of promote these movies because they, if it wasn't for yeah. uh, Miramax, they would uh, like the it American market out. wouldn't be wouldn't wouldn't get these. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So they, 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 then and then they have to think kind of. Um, we want as many people to watch this movie as possible. So, but just so like, we can get awards. Let's trick a few. <laughs> um, <laughs> and hope they, that the rest will follow. They'll, like, uh, they'll come for the um, sexy. They'll stay <laughs> for the mysterious. mysterious. <laughs> it's, but it is just one of those things where because it's a their foreign language, it's like how do they promote yeah. them to certain audiences? But I like to think just in this day and age with people with so much access to so much material yeah. from all around the world, that's less of an issue. So it, it does feel very much... It's very 90s. Yes. And which is something that I just kept exclaiming as just... Oh, yeah, there's going to be a section of the podcast devoted to that so 90s, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, Landlines, baby. Do you remember landlines? Remember those boxy Fiat Unos your uncles used to drive? They're everywhere. But in in terms of... Sorry. 
be a lot of Darren's kind of, it was after the, uh, the Cold War. It's like it you've read my 9/11. mind, yeah. That's my existential <laughs> um, ennui. That's, yeah, your, that's your 250 Francis drinking Fulgama, game. Yeah. end of history. <laughs> yeah, this is like, get, you get your 250 drinking game ready. There's also some inappropriate smoking and lots of bowling alone. Of course it's inappropriate smoking, it's <laughs> French. Fair point, you are on for Le Quatre Cent Coups, which famously featured a hard-ass, black-and-white polo shirt-wearing 12-year-old. Well, and by the way... Like, he, He's more hardened after like after 15, 15 minutes, minutes in a prison than, than Andy was <laughs> over the, the whole years. of Shawshank Redemption. And also, yeah. how did I become like the default uh, Frank? <laughs> French film expert here. Is it just because I speak a little French? A little bit. I, I really don't envy us trying to say toi que le rouge uh, on the podcast without you there. To that was a good effort though. I'll give you that. Yeah. Toi que le rouge. Um, C'est pas difficile. Merci beaucoup. Uh, but yeah, so the, um, the interesting thing though is that Peter Bradshaw on The Guardian has argued that, and again, this is something we talk about when we talk about foreign movies on the list. We had a bit of this with, uh, was it um, Cinema Paradiso as well? But the idea that, like, according to Bradshaw, he's described his own ambivalence towards these films because they were popular with the dinner party set. Boo. Which, if, if anything, massively undersells these. I remember seeing this as, like, a 14-year-old kid around about the year 2000. And, like, I've been quite open on the podcast. I'm not as well-versed in world cinema as I should be. But this was inescapable. This was, like, something... And I, I absolutely adore Blue, and I will talk a bit about Red in a moment. But, like, these were films that even I, in my little cocoon of watching Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone 80s movies, was like, I should probably watch these, uh, which is kind of a huge impact. But, Phil, do you remember when you first saw these films? Um, um, did you see them together? Did you see them separately? Did you see Red as part of a package deal? No, I I think I approached these very staggeredly. I wouldn't have seen them until I was in my late teens. And when I did, I started off with Blue, as you do, and that just floored me. Absolutely floored me. Blue was a masterpiece. Uh, but it was a long time afterwards that I saw White. And in leading up to it, it was clear just from basic reading about it that it was seen as the... The White, lesser. White is the black sheep, ironically enough. Yeah. It, because it is so different from Blue. But I watched it and I enjoyed it on its own terms. Um, it's actually a film I have a soft spot for and I'll happily defend. And I may have to do a bit of that today. I don't know. But, and then no, it's a good film. Like being the the weakest film in, in the three color trilogy yeah. is still a, yeah. still better than a lot. Uh, and then it was a while after that again I saw Red, and I was glad I had the distance in between them because they are so different one from another. Even though come the end, very literally, they do intertwine somewhat mysteriously, if not sexily. Miss Binoche, we'd like to talk to you about the Three Colors Initiative. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what is it? What is it about these uh, actresses who uh, are, were mooted for bigger English language things, and they said, "Nah, Kishaski's my man." You know, yeah, Binoche with Jurassic Park, Jacob with Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah, it's right. The, the right choice, ladies. Absolutely, I absolutely love that Binoche. Like when talking about Jurassic Park, has described how for her it would have been easier to get inside the psychology of a T Rex yeah. than to understand her character in Three Colors Blue. But I like Laura Dern no, I, in those films. Yeah. In those, that, well, that film at least. So she was going to play Laura Dern's I presume that would have yeah. Well, it's, it's the only major female role, I think. Unless you count unless, uh, the... Unless you're going to cast her young, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Am I, thinking, am I missing someone? No, okay. I don't think so. 
Have her play Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know. All the dinosaurs were female. That they were indeed, yeah. yeah. Or were they reproducing asexually? You know, I, that old confusion. I love the idea of, of like getting Juliette Binoche over in her big English language debut and just having her do green screen stuff. The girl. <laughs> but oh, wait, that actually just makes me smile because, of course, in Plaza Sils Maria, her character complains no more green green screen stuff, please. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. But yes, yeah, so like these are are remarkable, and they've had a huge impact. Mm. And I think that even today, they're still sort of respected. It's worth noting, actually. That on the early 250, back in like 1996, all three of the trilogy, including, uh, and also the Double Life of Veronique, were on the list as well, originally. Um, and then they gradually dropped off over time. I think The Secret Life of Veronique was the first to go. Double Life, then, Veronique. Double Life, sorry. Apologies. Sorry, I, that, I just picked up on that because that's probably my favourite Kachowski. That's me. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, you looked at me like... There's a curveball for you. A little, a little bit. I think, like, we'll talk about this when we get to red, I suspect, oh, yeah. in a moment. And then white was the second one to drop off. Yeah, Which... I, I just, I'm surprised all three were there. I mean, yeah. again, as much as I like white, I'm amazed would have found that wide noise. But I guess that just goes to show kind of their... Um, level of... The level of, of interest and level of impact they had just because of what they were. They were this massive cultural force. Yeah. Should we should we say now that uh, uh, blue, white and red... Uh, Represent liberty, liberté, égalité. Liberté, égalité, fraternité. Vous devez. They, they, on, on doit le dire comme ça. Liberté, égalité, fraternité. Not liberty, equality, fraternity, mais liberté, etc., etc. Uh, freedom, equality, and fraternity. Who knew? <laughs> For our international listeners out there. That's why uh, I'm speaking French. <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, well, this this is the thing with the. Um, with the trilogy. And it's kind of interesting. Again, this is why I like Kieslowski as much in interviews. Um, he famously said that as much as these are the three color trilogies, a trilogy made by French money. Interestingly enough, he's a Polish director. Um, and his and, primary financier, Marine Karmitz, is actually Romanian. Yeah. Um, and I believe that it happened because he moved to France and he had MK2, wasn't it? Productions. Mm-hmm. And that's why the money started came from France. But Kieslowski's gone on record. And like when he's asked, why did you choose to make these films about liberty, equality, and fraternity? His response was, because the money was French. If the money had been German, the trilogy would have been black, red, and gold. Um, which I kind of admire. I, I have to respect that. Yeah. I mean, he's been upfront. He wants to make these stories. Yeah. And... And the thing I love about Kieślowski, the late, great Christoph Kieślowski, is, is that he's a director with incredible ambition, but it's always on a relatively small scale. Like, he's not he's not telling huge stories. They're always centred around a few people, a few characters yeah. at most. But the themes he wants to explore and the way in which he goes about exploring them is, is huge. Like, he's the biggest small-scale storyteller of film that I can think of and who I love so much. It, like like you say, the themes of this trilogy are, are those of the, are the motto of the French Republic, liberty, equality and fraternity. Those are big concepts to grasp and yet he does it within the confines of these three stories of just... Uh, very small, personal. Very yeah. personal, just small individual stories. A very small cast, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, but I think just... Very intimate. I think that's probably he finds a, uh, he finds a certain exp- uh, liberty of expression in just having relatively small cast. It means he has to focus on the story he wants to tell, and he has to focus on the way he, in which he would, wants to tell it. And um, 
I just love the way that these stories unfold and the way that they're made. Um, I mean, they're they're blue, white, and red, and the films all reflect those colors, not just in their color palette, but just in their moods, even their like, moods, absolutely. Yeah. And like he's very aware of what the baggage that he's brought on for these films, and he he embraces it and he uses it to the max. I mean, red is saturated. It absolutely is. And it's arguably even more than like, because blue is completely filled with blue. White has a lot of like snow in it and, and the sort of harshness and bright light and stuff. But red, there's no way watching red that you don't know yeah, that you don't pick up. Even if somebody were to tell you it's just a French film, you'd be like, there's a lot of red in here. I feel like there's a lot of red in here. Mm. Uh, but before we talk about the film more depth, uh, we're going to ask the usual three questions. Um, so, Phil, mm. do you think the three colors red? belongs on the IMDb's list of the top 250 movies ever made. If I have to have a Kishlowski in there, yes, absolutely. And actually, on that note, do you think it's the best of the trilogy? And you come back, we, we said we come back to it, we're coming back to it. The Double Life of Veronique as, as your favourite. It's, yeah, that is my favourite. But, it, okay, we but again, that's personal question practice. every week. Every yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> do you think this movie is the best of the Kishlowski trilogy? Yeah. Um, um, it was a bit awkward last week with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> The Next Generation. <laughs> Um, um, yeah that, now that's just personal preference and it, it's also just perf- preference that actually means that personally I prefer blue um, which it, it's a rare minority opinion but just is um, I think blue is a masterpiece red is it, it's right on its heels and I as I say I'm always happy to go to bat for white as well I love all three and I love them as a trilogy uh, it's the best way to explore them even though I know we're focusing on red today, but hopefully we'll look at the other two as well, just at least yeah, in context. Amount. And yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, it is very hard to separate them. I would have watched them myself as a trilogy and I binged, binged in inverted commas, uh, as much as you can binge the work of European cinema. And you know, like I, I watched all the X-Men You're also movies. eating twirls. Yeah, at the same time. Because <laughs> yeah, we are a hot culture podcast. Thanks uh, for the twirls, uh, You're welcome, Phil. Um, that's, how we, that's how we attract our best guests. Um, crunchies and twirls, but no, I mean, um, J'aime bien les crunchies. so yes, in that in that spirit of blending high and low culture, I binged the Three Colors trilogy over the course of the weekend, and they play very well together. They and they interact with one another, they intersect with another. Recurring images, themes. I I have to say, these three films they certainly interact and in, in intersect with one another a lot better than the X Men series of films do. Especially the longer you go on, I mean, I've lost track. I uh, give I give up on them a while ago. I didn't realize that was so much of a kind of a means of comparison. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the '90s version I of the X Men. Like quickly, anyone who follows Darren on Twitter will have gotten both, yeah. and will get confused at times. What the message? Which one he's talking about? Yeah. yeah. Um. Didn't Juliet Binoche play Nightcrawler? Yes. Isn't the X Men an exploration of '90s anxieties about European politics? Don't you think? The the first one maybe, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and Andrew, like again, yes. you have literally just watched this for the first time. Mm-hmm. But do you think that this movie belongs on the nineties list of the top two hundred and fifty movies ever made? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not certain. I did like it. Yeah, but I I I don't know if it's if it's as good as some of the um, other movies maybe on this list that I would that I would maybe associate with it. So some of the kind of... Like the lives of others. Foreign language yeah. or even non-American movies. Yeah. Mm. Some of whom, some of which I really, really enjoyed. I think the 
like three movies I've liked the most kind of that we've done yeah. so far. The have, Secret have, in Our Eyes. I've been The Secret in Our Eyes. Actually, we haven't done The Lives yeah. of Others, but that would be there. Yeah. The, um, and Mary and Max. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it, it, which are all kind of like non kind of. Studio um, made American, movies. yeah. And Le Cacher Sans Coup, I think, was 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 um, was fantastic. Now, I wasn't as, as mad about uh, Battle of Angie. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but but it, no, I I, I, I I thought this movie was we're good. We're having a Pavlovian response to having Phil on at the moment. <laughs> I know, I just, I, I'm just very worried now because subsequently after we recorded the Battle of Algiers, it dropped out of the 250. <laughs> what can we say? How, we are, right now, how, how close red, is this? And at the time of recording, uh, Three Colors Red is at 246. 246. 46, yeah. Hang in there, baby. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, we're getting there. Yeah, we, we do. <laughs> we're going to drive it out. What? We do, we, we, we no, do, we do sometimes have that effect. But well, we also have the opposite yeah. effect. Like, I mean, one of the rare movies that has been climbing through the 250, like, since it came in four years ago. Prisoners? Complete, yes! <laughs> what? <laughs> Prisoners, when we covered it, was, I think, it's at, like, two, Yeah, it was at, like, 234. It's now at, like, 217. It's, yeah, it's just going. That's the 250 bump. You were joking me. No. Oh, <laughs> that, I mean, like, it could I'm be sorry, coincidence. I'm sorry, um, but that just makes me sad. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, 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 I want a franchise where Jake Gyllenhaal just travels, or Gyllenhaal, apologies, just travels around and solves cases. Nah, based like, on prisoners, I want one where he just never stops <laughs> blinking. I hate, I'm sorry, I hate prisoners. It's uh, uh, it's 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 uh, it's, it's beat, a low key performance. Uh, out capital yeah, of the out. capital, capital of, of the universe. Yeah. yeah. Let's move here with our young kids. <laughs> the sky is never anything but grey. It frequently threatens to snow and pedophiles. All the you, pedophiles. You can't swing a bat without solving a pedophile related case that is never your pedophile related case. I think it was it was as well a a two fifty trope of going after uh, Terence Howard. <laughs> it sort of began there yeah 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 we're we're always harshing uh terence howard Howard's mellow yeah is is he even making stuff anymore that you're able to like harass him he's he's on empire on television oh cool i didn't know that um but anyway so jesse smaller (laughs) (laughs) everyone's on that what a cast what a cast um but anyway to bring the podcast back to something resembling a point oh thank god would Three Colors Red be on your personal 250? And would the other movies on the in the trilogy be on there as well? Would you count them as one for the purposes of like gerrymandering? Um, for the, I actually would. I would be inclined to put them together. I think it's the richest way in which to contextualize and analyze the films. So like, as much as I love blue and as much as I love red and as much as I enjoy white. Sorry, white. It's just, it, it just what happens. But... Um, no, I would always, I always think of them together, um, and I think that's what Kishlowski intended. And they would be on your own personal list then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as a set. And Andrew, having not seen the films, it's would like, you bring them all? It's like Twin Peaks to return. It's, it's <laughs> one get, movie. Yeah, it's, tell us why this isn't a trilogy. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is the question. Like, uh, you know, we we explore lots of questions. Is this a movie? Are these three movies a movie? Is this television show a movie? I mean, it's an open-ended question, people. We're yeah, just throwing it during out During the intermission, we speak for an hour and a half about the movie. <laughs> yeah. ne- next week, <laughs> we'll be going back to the Three Colours Wise. Yeah. This is why this is such a valuable podcast in and of itself. Because look at the broad swathe of opinion we have. People who've seen the trilogy, people who haven't. We're going to get all shades of red. Hi, oh, I see what you did there. Glad that you flagged your interest in that one. 
Mon but, Dieu. But anyway, Andrew, so would it be on your own personal taste? Combine the three colors, you get like an unpatriotic A purple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, get the, you get the triple X parody, uh, which is three colors purple. Um, but anyway, Andrew. Yes. Would it be on your own personal 250? Yeah. You're allowed to say no. Yeah. Given I, I don't think so. Like, I, it, I enjoyed it, but it didn't, it didn't really have that kind of tremendous, a uh, kind of an impact um, on me. There were, there were, there were parts of it that kind of spoke to me, but in terms of like kind of making me laugh and making me cry, it didn't really have that. Um, that impact yeah. but, it, but it but it was a it, it was it was it was like it was it was a good movie in a lot of ways yeah i mean i know i laughed like a loon through a lot of this but um i think a lot of that was because again i had rewatched it not so long ago and the other two films a lot again it all comes in the context of the other two films so well, i mean i, I, I think like, it just impacts on how much you relate to it and what you get out of it well, i mean in terms of, of laughing a lot during it like i mean What's interesting? I I, I don't want to. I don't want to be. I really don't want to be that douchey guy who like laughs at certain moments. Like, yes, I get this. This is this appeals to me. Well, you are that douchey guy. I know. I know. I know. It's okay. Own it. Um, but no. What? What is more? Excuse me while I roll up my roll neck and go out to smoke. Out, a, yeah. I must go out and smoke a galois. But no, actually, what, what I was more getting at is because I went back and I did a bunch of research for this, including looking at the initial reviews for the films as they premiered at the various festivals. And what's kind of amazing and I kind of adore is the fact that when Three Colors Blue premiered at Venice, the New York Times of all places, Janet Maslin, the the critic there, she, yeah, she was very much like, this is a self-parody of European cinema. This is like, this is European cinema on steroids. This is the most pretentious, self-absorbed kind of like unself-aware luxuriating in its own sense of like assured knowedness film that you will ever see and it's like there, there was an extent to which yeah. this film felt a little bit like that oh yeah and, and, I, no, no. and it's, I'd argue it's very true of Blue as well Blue is is very much like that's Blue is probably most guilty of that yeah yeah but, like have, having said it didn't like it didn't make me laugh it didn't make me cry that's not to say that it wasn't kind of like uh, uh, funny kind of in parts but just not in a very yeah. kind of um, uh, powerful way, or yeah. that it wasn't sad in parts, mm. which yeah. is not. They didn't really have like the. Oh. It was very. It felt, it felt very kind of understated. Yeah. Again, again, that stereotype of European cinema. And again, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bringing that up to Demogorgon. I was actually going to make the point that I would. I kind of agree with Maslin's like observation about the films, and that they are. And I wonder if like part of the reason why they're success, why were so successful in the 90s was that only because like Blue in particular is a very visual story. There's not a lot of dialogue in there, so you don't have to worry too much about subtitles. Uh, also, like the prestige of having won those awards and being marketed by the Weinstein Company. But also in part because, and I wonder if like, I'm going to throw my hands up and say maybe I'm a little bit guilty of this myself. There's a sense of like getting your RDA of like, you know, European cinema in watching these three films. They're well, a really concentrated like, dose of You like, mean like you have to watch these because you're told to and because it's good n- for you. No, 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 not not that. Just like, you know, there's a certain mm. amount of tropes and conventions and narrative style that I I personally and again I'm I'm willing to go out and say, you know, I'm not an expert in this. I haven't watched nearly as much as I should have, but that I associate with European filmmaking in contrast to, say, American or even like East Asian style filmmaking. Mm. And like what I really and I love this. This is something uh, this is not a criticism of the trilogy at all but like there's a sense watching them that they are pure 
uncut, shoot it directly into my veins and take a picture for the Geneva Evening Post European cinema, where it's like, they are so unashamedly European. slice of life into your veins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how I... Uh, that's... Yeah, you're, you're really stuck for, like, <laughs> realism. Yeah. That you're shooting I, um, into you. I think... No, I get absolutely what you're saying. Like, the, when you think of the three colours, you get those kind of images that you would associate with French cinema in particular at Lots the time. Lots of close-ups on actresses' faces conveying emotion, the, the beautiful yeah. swelling score. Narrat- narratively relatively minimal yeah. swelling scores, as you say. And yeah, they've come to define that, but that's not their fault. That's oh, more yeah. a product of their marketing and their acclaim. And there is probably, there might be a certain sense of that thing Peter Bradshaw was talking about, about how they inspire so many chin-stroking discussions over after rates. But again, that's not their doing. They're just, the films are the films. And what you take from them is entirely up to you. But clearly a lot of people uh, have responded to them in a way that is positive and that they've found enriching and and have embraced them. And I I feel like it's coming across like I'm being hostile. I'm not. I absolutely No, no, no. no, no, no. I'm just saying in general. I think a lot of people could see them as being those pretentious, wanky kind of films. I possibly do, but I think that I just respond to them because they're they do that thing of being narratively minimal and yet so rich in emotion. I just respond. And this is the thing. It's kind of interesting that Andrew said that he didn't respond. He responded like not as strongly uh, as he has to some of the other films on the list. It's interesting because Blue and Red in particular are films that I respond to a great deal emotionally. Um, and it's very strange. Again, it, it's one of those things where, you know, we joke yeah, in the podcast about how I'm a rock. Asking you yeah, I realise what you'll be asking after this. Yeah, um, yeah. No, whether or not I cry. Getting into some personal <laughs> space. Kind of, um, yeah. But um, no, like they are, they're movies that I respond to primarily and emotionally. And it's worth noting that Kieslowski has like talked a great deal. We're, like, again, his interviews are fascinating. They'll be lost in the show notes. Please feel free to get them a read. But like he's talked about how for him, filmmaking is not about character or theme. But it's about trying to capture an emotional experience on film. And literally everything else in the film is in service of that. So the characters, the plot, what actually happens, the dialogue, they're all just signifiers to get to what he wants, which is this pure emotional experience. And it kind of works for me. Like, and it, it works very intensely for me in blue and red. And I think that maybe the reason why it doesn't, why white doesn't work as much for me as the other two is because that emotion doesn't land as effectively in that one as it does in the two that sandwich it for me at least uh, yeah we'll I, I, it, I like yeah I, I definitely like to talk about the kind of emotions it evokes all right but i i guess but it would would, would a, I, I imagine you're recommending this movie wholeheartedly yeah so mm-hmm. and and i i i think i would too yeah. like like it did it did speak to me it just it, it didn't kind of speak to me maybe as powerfully as i could could be down to me a little bit. I know sometimes I'm in the mood for these, and sometimes <laughs> I'm not. But it 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 is a good movie. So I I I don't know if you'd agree, but I I, w- I would say if a person is like me hasn't seen um this movie before, I would say stop the podcast, yeah. watch the movie, and and come back. Mm. But Darren, should they stop the podcast, 
watch the trilogy and come back. <laughs> I would I would wholeheartedly recommend it, and I think that you can do it relatively quickly. They're they're short movies; they're about a hundred minutes each. That's uh, another thing I love about them is that you can experience them in a relatively short period of time. They don't take a long time to say what they want to say. Yeah. Um, so you can do that, space them over three nights, and I think that I think that it pays off to a certain extent like that. Not in we're going to talk. I think it's an alsatian barking in, in the, the background. background appropriate the enough. listeners can pick up on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, the um, it the, yeah. I'm sorry, we just hit it with our car apparently. <laughs> um, so what I would suggest is yes, listeners, go off, watch the trilogy, come back, then listen to the podcast on their repurposed stereo sound system that they've used to tap into some wires so that they can get access to things that they want to listen to people talking about in great length. And uh, then maybe join us on the other side of the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. (laughs) You still do that. (laughs) Le zone des spoilers. So, Phil. What is Toi de Rouge? About for you. De quoi parle-t-il trop couleur rouge pour moi? Why does this always stop me? I have kind of prepared this. It's, a, it's, it's such a big question. Were you not like crossing the street earlier and dropped a book and you picked up the book and the book told you exactly what three colours red was about? No, because Darren, that only happens in movies. Um, I think Darren knows what it's about. I did. Do I? Um, well, what is it about then, Darren? It's about longing and connection and the desire to make a connection in a world that's increasingly networked. No, that's what it's about, Darren. What's it about for you? Not just that, Darren. That too. I think it, 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 it's, it's, it's more... Like, it feels more specifically about kind of the way that longing makes a person kind of uh, pathetic or can kind of humiliate um, a, a person. And the, 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 I'm a great admiration... I have a great admiration for how um, love can do that to people. It sounds like 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 a uh, crazy, but whenever I feel kind of you know um, like uh, humiliated or or, or or pathetic or just a bit kind of sad about love, like I I think and we all go through that. Lord yeah, Jesus. but I I, I I I I kind of admire it. I'm like oh that, that's. Um, it's um it it has this like inc- in, in, incredible capacity to to uh uh to to do that. I'm not mad at it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, it's yeah. Okay, so uh, to come back to your question, then, shall I? Um, well, as you, I, I, you've hit a lot of nails on the head there. I mean, it is a film that deals primarily with the ideas of interconnectedness and how how sometimes. <sighs> we're interconnected sometimes even if we don't realize it and even if we don't like it that we're we just find bonds with people in the strangest of places in the most banal of circumstances but also how those bonds are often invisible and down to fate or luck and how easy they are for us to miss Hmm. and how easy we can overlook them and how even the bonds that we are aware exist so the way in which we built the world the way in which we network the world the way in which we connect with people in the modern world, where that's looking at them through screens or listening to them down wires, that excellent opening shot, for example, um, or even like peering through broken window panes, how those are no equivalent or replacement for the simple human interaction of, of talking to somebody or being in the same physical space as them. Yeah, and I think the reason we can connect uh, sometimes to 
to to people so readily and sometimes it, 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 in an odd way the the thing that can create distance between ourselves and other people is our vulnerability and that this movie kind of um uh, explores that in, a, in 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 a very interesting way i i think it celebrates vulnerability yeah I, absolutely i mean and we're saying all this, we haven't even like described the plot, which I think is making us sound perhaps a little vague. So just in case there's anybody who at this point hasn't watched it yet, in but just you really should. To continue on listening I mean, anyway. I mean, it's like uh, our, our, in inverted commas, Irish accents. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, they're, they're charming accents. What can I say? We can't, <laughs> but, um, the ASMR approach to podcasting. Well, I mean, we have to... No, I'm not going to alter my voice. <laughs> you take it as you find it. But... Like again, we're, it's a film that's dealing with these big ideas of interconnectedness and vulnerability and love, but it's at its heart, it's a story of just three people. So you have Valentine, uh, played by Irene Jacob, not Irene Jacob. She is French. Oh, okay. Um, Apparently, we invite Phil on for sass too. Irene Jacob. <laughs> I'm not directing that at anyone. It's just, he I, says I, while making heavy eye contact. I just I've, I've heard people mispronounce it so many yeah. times, and yeah, I'm a, I'm Irene. A Irene, 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 is that right? Come on, Irene. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Right. Anyway. That's, yeah. Anyway. So, but she's... It does um, sound nicer the way you say it. Yeah, it does. Irene. 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 And Irene Jacob, she's, she's one of those faces of movies in the 90s for me because she had this and she had uh, The Double Life of Veronique uh, a few years before, also with Kishlowski. And um, in this, she plays a model not a stretch, beautiful woman, uh, a model and a student. And her life seems, and her life and the rest of the characters in the film, they're not, they're not particularly disturbed or perturbed, at least on the surface. She's getting on with her life. We see her in her modeling jobs, being photographed. Well, she, she has gets, her own like beautiful apartment in yeah, Geneva. These people are very well appointed in Geneva. Ah, now do, we, do we want to get into this? Let's get into it. We will get, we'll get into it. So we might as well, because the story behind these films is quite complicated. Um, like, nominally, they're French, and they're about France. I'm confused. You and quite a few other people. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you've got this trilogy. French produced from a Polish director, Polish screenwriters, mostly Polish cast. Romanian, Romanian director, Romanian, Romanian producer. producer. French cast. Uh, so I suppose Blue is the most French of them. Yes, set it's there. set entirely in France, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Uh, and just to prove it's French, the lead is Juliette Binoche. Then you get to Three Colors White, which is the story of a Polish immigrant in France who is divorced by his French wife and has to go back to Poland. Has to so, ship himself home in a box. Which I find that such a charmingly sweet <laughs> and funny, in a very basic kind of way. Yeah. It, it, I, I enjoy the heck out of that. There are a lot of kind of French, um, Polish sort of uh, uh, connections. There is. I mean, now, but the thing is, they're not. None of those belong to Kishlovsky himself. He was Polish born, Polish raised, and uh, even when it came to making these films. He didn't learn French. Yes, I absolutely adore that about him. Um, he apparently yes. directed 
in Polish through an interpreter. He could speak English, but he also gave interviews in Polish through an interpreter. Apparently, according to when he was doing, when he was making Three Colors, his closest relationships, and this is according to Slate, were not with his French and Swiss actors, but with his Polish compatriots. Um, So the main ones there would be Krzysztof Piszewicz, his whole screenwriter, his uh, script consultant. Yes, and a politician later on as well, isn't he? He Uh, uh, yes. yes, he was a lawyer and later yeah. became a politician, but he met Kishlovsky on uh, his film No End from 1984. Uh, probably his most overtly political work because it's about uh, trials in Poland under their uh, under the communist regime at the time. And uh, uh, helped him with research just into the process, the judicial process as it was in Poland at the time. And uh, Piotrowicz became his uh, co-screenwriter on all his films subsequently, mm-hmm. including The Decalogue, The Double Life of Veronique, mm-hmm. and Three Colours Trilogy. And in fact, I think he helped carry on the trilogy that Kieslowski was reportedly working on when he died, which which eventually became a weird duology, which uh, is uh, Heaven, Heaven with Hell Tom Twyker. Yeah. Tom Tickver, yes, made mm-hmm. a version of he- of Heaven with, with uh, uh, Kate, Kate Blanchett, Blanchett and, and Giovanni Ribisi. Were you reading off the same notes? We may be reading off the same notes. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not a bad film. Off actually. notes. Yeah. <laughs> don't 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 look behind that curtain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and there was also a version of Hell made in Poland as well. Yeah, which I haven't seen actually. But uh, yeah, so he, like I said, the a lot of the crew and his main Kishowski's main uh, collaborator on the film behind the scenes were Polish. So. Like in terms of the screenwriter, so you had Piazzewicz also among his like his um, script um, collaborators, uh, Anieszka Holland, the acclaimed oh. director as well. Um, the composer, uh, Zid, I'm not going to even try to pronounce this. Zinjev Preisner. Preisner, his composer Preisner. Yeah, he and, also met on No End and composed the scores for all his films subsequently. Yeah. And uh, three Polish cinematographers as well. Yes, indeed. The, uh, the uh, cinematographer on Red is Piotr Sobyszynski. Uh, but yes, he did employ, I suppose to give each film a distinct flavour and a distinct, distinct vibe, he had three different uh, uh, cinematographers. Probably the best known is the cinematographer in Three Colours Blue, Slavomir Idziak. Nobody shoots the colour blue like Idziak. He also did uh, Gattaca, Black Hawk Down. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. Yeah, like, it, unbelievable. Just, uh, as soon as you think blue, it, the, just the colour blue, those films come to mind. And, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, but most of his collaborators, as I said, were Polish. And so I suppose it's it's that idea of if you're going to explore themes that relate to a certain place or a certain time, you need somebody from outside of that maybe to look at them. Although, again, there might be a certain cynicism in Kishlowski saying that he'd have made these films regardless of where they had to be set or where the money was coming from. I don't know. Um, he's very much a director who's keen to explore themes that were important to him yeah. but even then the man just seems a bit of an enigma that way he always said that he was apolitical um, which I can certainly understand where he's coming from why he'd say that because his earlier films like he made, he started off making documentaries after film school yeah. in uh, Poland in, by the way in, in, during the Cold War in the mid 70s onwards yes uh, so, so they like, were subject to a lot of interference your options were to be apolitical or in the gulag 
those were your two options. So I can imagine, like, a lot of people have commented that's probably why he was said he was apolitical. Yeah, but even then, like, there are early films of his, like Workers 71 Station, that uh, he, they brushed up against the authorities and they were heavily edited. Um, and then even other ones where they didn't get a release at all. Uh, his 1981 film, Blind Chance, didn't come out in Poland until 87. Yeah, and again, just the authorities found issues with it. So, um, yeah, it's, you can see where he might just feel a reticence to say that his films are at any particular given stance or theme for the sake of safety, you know, yeah. pre- protect himself and his work. But I mean, there's also like this, this is, and I, we're probably wandering off topic. Andrew asked, are these French films? And we got onto this, but just while we're on the subject of, of politics and stuff like that, it's interesting because I would contend that like the three colors trilogy now it's been a while since i've watched the double life of veronique um so i can't comment on that but having rewatched the three colors trilogy recently like they are very political works in certain senses blue like the central driving device of blue is a symphony for europe the unification unit. this unification of europe that's it, it it's is. going to be played simultaneously in the 12 capitals of europe to create a sense of togetherness in playing with the film's theme of like a woman who finds herself alone and wants to be alone and the question of whether or not we can as people be completely um independent or completely uh free liberty again apart from the context of the films related to each other looking at where Kieślowski is coming from Three Colors Blue for example was made in 1993 at the time Poland was emerging from the shadow of the Iron Curtain and had applied to join the EU at the time yeah and was of course it wouldn't join for another 11 years yeah so yeah it was made it was made in 92, 93 yeah over a period of 10 months he made the three yeah, there were at uh, various points he was actually writing, shooting, and editing the three films together. Yeah, um, the last, the last shot, the first shot that he, the first shot that he filmed was the sequence of Juliette Binoche emerging from the lifeboat at the end of Red. Interestingly <laughs> enough, um, now no, that's, I think that's a sign of confidence by any actor <laughs> in their director. We're starting where? Okay, you were starting with your cameo in the third film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, also in terms of that, and you're right, in terms of Poland emerging and wanting to join the EU, it's worth noting white as well is perhaps the most overtly political in that it's a story about a a Polish man in France who hasn't learned French, which I absolutely adore. It It feels almost like Kieślowski's... If any of his characters in this trilogy have to be Kieślowski, it has to be Carol in white. Because as you say, he's in France, he hasn't learned French, even though he's married a French woman. And... uh, so again, there's also this kind of disconnect between Poland and the rest of Europe. Like it's a story of this Polish man, Carol, played by Zinia Samoszewski, who is trying, who is being divorced by his wife, played by Julie Delpy, because uh, he can't consummate the marriage. And so there's so there's this fundamental disconnect between West and East yeah. that they cannot seem to bridge. And he literally he shift, he gets himself shipped home. He gets himself I shipped sh- home. And I should o- say, if listeners are wondering. Yes, that is, that, is, that is the sound of one. A uh, hedge trimmer. A weed whacker hedge trimmer. A weed trimmer. whacker, yeah. This does feel apt, though, in a way. Because <laughs> yeah, always I, I know it'll be annoying people, people because they'll be like, is that in the podcast or is <laughs> that, that outside? In, in yeah. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, it no, feels you, haven't, you haven't got tinnitus, it's just us. It feels very true to the sound design of Three Colours Red that we have all this <laughs> happening in the background. But he goes home to Poland. Yeah, he goes home to Poland builds himself up remarkably quickly as a, ca- as a, a from, a, from a barber to a master of <laughs> capitalism 
Uh, uh, the soundtrack includes two different tracks titled Don um, Carol. Yeah. Like to give you a sense of where the film's going. Like the, as a hairdresser, he expresses his newfound capitalism by slicking his hair back in the style of it's Gordon very Gecko. Gordon it's Gecko. Amazing. At one point, he steps out of his new car, a burgundy Volvo, mind you, and he's in this big overcoat with the slick back hair, and he just thinks, "Yes, I am. I am a master of the universe." I, you know, he's he has become this kind of capitalist ideal that he probably saw in the West. And probably wants to prove to himself and to his now ex-wife yeah. that he is capable of more than he thought even himself. I want to be in the money business. Like, I want that... to be so in the money business that I can frame your ass. Yeah, or, or what's the bit where he arrives home to his brother's barber shop and discovers it's covered in neon. And he's like, there's so much neon and his brother's We're like, in Europe now. We're in Europe now, which is great. Uh, my favourite line in that entire film is when uh, a gangster that he's got money out of looks at him and goes, you're a son of a bitch. No, I just need the money. <laughs> but yeah, so like, I mean, and I think that that's very consciously political as well. And I yeah, think... it's it's not, a, it's not a takedown necessarily of capitalism, but it kind of shows how it permeates so much of our thinking. Yeah. But I mean, and this gets back to what you were saying earlier. And I think you mentioned when you said why you love Kieslowski so much, is that even though he's dealing with this, these big themes, these idea of like European unity, integration, yeah. the question of whether or not we can be truly free in an interconnected world in blue, the question of what capitalism does after the fall of the Berlin Wall in white. Uh, but even while he's doing that, he's focusing on people. So you have like, you know, politics is personal in a very real sense, but you have this idea that like the state of the world reflects more the psychology and like the personal circumstances of the characters that the stories are focusing on, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And again, this is where we hit like Andrew called it. I'm going to be I'm going to be frank. Andrew called this earlier in the podcast. This is where we hit the stock. It's a very 90s movie, isn't it? Yeah. All about the end of history. It's about the triumph of capitalism, the collapse of the Cold War, the lack of any real existential crisis. God, this is why I hate people. We're also <laughs> we're also convinced that we're the end children of history. We're passing any through. We no, not anymore. We're not convinced of that. But during the nineties, I thought there was a real sense of that. There was. I was like, we made it. Well, that's it, because this is what you're talking about when you well, said like. I never like, felt like that. I, I, I always felt uh, wrongly. It turns out <laughs> that that the IRA were going to blow up my loo. Like, like a Did you watch Lethal Weapon? Exactly. Very impressionable young child. I didn't know kind of what their aims were or who they were and like against no or, or what they stood for. I just knew that they were like guys in balaclavas and, and they were probably blow corner. up my toilet. I love this reminds me of that bit in The Simpsons where it's like, thanks to seeing Lethal Weapon too. I, I, <laughs> I check my blue, my bathroom every time. It's true. He does. <laughs> I, 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 I had an image as well of like them coming up through the, the with the, the gun and the, the toilet body yeah with like yeah with a with like an AK-47 like like that guy in Spice World <laughs> oh, I like that we're seeing all of Andrew's like Andrew's nightmares knitted together from 90s films the Spice Girls in the IRA <laughs> some kind of plot yeah. to upend the EU oh, Margaret Thatcher <laughs> resurrected <laughs> but your sewers are revolting um, but yeah so um Back to the, the thing, though, like in terms of... Oh, thank you. Um, oh, don't worry. But, like, that's the thing is that you pointed out earlier that, like, Vera, sorry, Valentine is a model and a student. Yeah. She's living in this relatively nice apartment nice in apartment. Geneva. 
Yeah. I mean, um, and the same thing, cheap. And the same thing happens That's in Blue. Standard movie and television yeah, I, I, stuff. I, yeah. I <laughs> but, think, like, but like even in Blue where like, Julie has this estate in the country and, and she's, she's like, says, I'm tired of that. So she moves to Paris where she owns a freaking loft. I know. Well, like, nobody <laughs> wants to see like the kind of crappy life that I live. <laughs> yeah, like but, on a big screen. Yeah. Well, I, nobody I, wants to see my bathroom. Kind of, well, one, I would say if you want to see more a more brutal perhaps portrayal of life in this trilogy watch White White, White is yeah. secondly again since Kieslowski is far more interested in just characters basic emotional reactions to their given scenarios I mean in Blue Julie is unencumbered by needs of like money or she has a romantic prospect if she wants it in the form of Olivia mm, yeah. um, like she wants for nothing it, it basically allows her to work through her issues with her grief yeah. um, without those kind of concerns getting in the way. It's a bit fantastical in its way, I know. But I mean, the oh, film does complaining. make, the film does set it up that she is married to a very famous composer. They're clearly wealthy. Yeah. So. Oh no, I'm, I'm not complaining at all. I don't, like, I don't, th- I'm not but complaining there is, it, it is a kind of a 90s thing. That's like, exactly, yeah. Life's not bad. It's just good enough that we can work through our bad. That's it exactly. It's like we no longer feel her getting like randomly nuked by the Russians. So let's, process how weird we're all feeling yeah. even though it's like financially successful even though liberal democracy is doing pretty okay in europe yeah so but let's like yeah. Yeah, i suppose it's not so much that i think the political is personal i think it's more that this focus shifts from the political to the personal that seems to be the evolution of kishlovsky's own career mm-hmm. like i say he started off in documentary made films that could be a bit more politically i suppose inclined or politically astute but then worked into this phrase as you point out like he made films about like workers uh, yeah. in Poland at the time yeah, and even watch, though those, those are personal watch, stories you can watch stuff say, say like uh, Blind Chance or Camera Buff yeah. and they are much more about the realities in Pol- uh, of living in Poland at the mm-hmm. time but again as he got more con- got more acclaim and got more perhaps probably a bit more budget and a bit more just a bit more confidence in the story that he wants to tell he decided just to focus on those the first and most probably the best exemplar of that is the decalogue which was made for polish television 10 part series covering the uh, 10 commandments it's going 10, through them it's 10 one stories an hour each. yeah one hour each nominally based on the 10 commandments yeah. um, nominally i mean well, that, well, like the three colors like the three colors are yeah, based yeah. on i mean and i mean roger ebert's pointed what out like, ro- <laughs> but, like roger ebert's pointed out like teaching the decalogue in film school was a nightmare for him because he was giving a lecture on how each of them related to the sin in question somebody in the class stuck up their hand and said yeah but you do realize that like the the order of the Ten Commandments is different in the Talmud and the Bible, right? So which order are we going by? And Ebert was like, uh... <laughs> well, I suppose you'd not you'd I suppose you'd have to probably see as Christian uh, Kishlowski himself raised Catholic. You'd have to say he's agnostic. He said himself that he maintained a quote personal and private relationship with God. Um, Love case Lasky. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, the, the, the man is for somebody who's so blunt. He doesn't give. He doesn't show his cards too easy, yeah. does he? Um, so, like, he's also not afraid just to explore themes from a religious within a religious context. Say, so you have that. Um, there's maybe elements of it in Three Colors trilogy. Not very much, but I suppose they're more to do with 
looking I, at the idea... Well, I think there are, there are religious themes in red, I, I would argue, I think. So, the ideas of faith and interconnected. But, but even the idea of, and again, sorry, Darren's going to derail it into the end of history train again. Oh, but this, this idea of the judge who's listening in to conversations, yeah. who's acting as an observer of everybody, and, and, you know, a judge in inverted commas, but a judge who doesn't do anything, a judge who doesn't deliver any verdicts, a judge who doesn't even, like, who believes now that to arbitrate between truth and lies is vanity or immodesty on his yeah. part the you only have... reason he listens into the conversations is that he gets the unadulterated truth that yeah. way or so he sees yeah but, that, but that, he, he's, he's omnipotent he, like he's, no no he's, no he's that, omniscient, it's, sorry. Uh, testament to his um um impotence yeah that's exactly uh, he's it, an it, it, god yeah but, 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 because he um and she she talks to him in the theater after the kind of uh, after fashion the fashion show, show. Um, about it, it, I, I think she says she she betrayed you, um, and and you just uh, kept on loving her. Yeah, and that that's his um uh, life now. It, and and it's 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 a bit like um August doing the um the um knocking uh, on the window. And... Yeah, yeah, but and and as well climbing climbing up onto the <laughs> ab- uh, ab- on apartment his, window. His girlfriend and her lover. Yeah. yeah, it's a, there is. Has anyone ever done that move here? I don't look at me. God, just, well, this is an audio medium, so we can raise our hands. Um, but yeah, just, just me. It, it's the uh, like the, the the probably not something that you should do when somebody's not kind of expecting you, but like appearing at their window. Oh, okay, okay. So so not like not like just spying on them. Yeah, I was going to say, and what. <laughs> You keep it w- w- yourself. I w- no, I, w- I, w- I w- was the woman even your girlfriend? I w- we were seeing each other. Yes, oh. and, oh, and I, 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 decide, I decided I would, um, you know, and it, it would, it would be. It would be an interesting thing to to turn up at their window. This was in a different time. <laughs> it was, this was maybe nine or ten years <laughs> yeah. ago. And so oh, the, yeah, um, it I'm made sorry. a funny story. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I didn't walk in on her having sex with somebody else. Okay. Sorry, that's no, not the, that's that's not the story. story seems to be like, okay, all right. I was like, I'm really sorry, Andrew. It's like, that doesn't happen to Andrew. <laughs> that happens to other people. Like you like guys. Like our goose. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this idea sorry. of the judge as like a very 90s idea of God, where he's omniscient but impotent like i mean he, even when he's writing that letter to confess his pen won't work like in, it was in pencil yeah in your in your sort of like freudian metaphor if you want to push that a little bit further than that do but, you Derek? <laughs> but even the sequence where he's talking about how like why the woman that he loved left him and he's like you know he goes straight from well i saw somebody else giving her you know a, a royal screwing and uh he could offer he could offer her something that I couldn't. And the only context that you have for what this guy was offering is sex. So it's like maybe yeah we're we're not exactly being subtle with this impotence metaphor are we here? But I mean even then I I think that kind of that is I think there you can read that in a vaguely religious sense. I think you can read yeah. that in that way in this idea of like in the 90s, you know, God may not be dead, but he's just nobody's listening to him. He's, yeah. he's listening to you you're not listening to him yeah that sort of thing Wait, and I mean then the power comes from the fact that this young woman comes into his life through well I mean she, she goes to well, a church sorry we're, yeah. very true we're 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 um, we're we're off uh, getting 
kind of ridden by the materialistic uh, <laughs> uh, uh, secular world while God watches <laughs> on, like, unable to satisfy us. Is, is, is that what is you're that saying? There's, there's that moment in the it film. may not be a literal one for Holding one. a box of chocolates, kind <laughs> of crying yeah. in, in the rain. There's that moment in the... Uh... <laughs> Looking through the window. God crawling on a dumpster. <laughs> while we're setting up our new hi-fi system. Yeah. There's yeah. a moment in the film where um, the judge says to Valentin uh, about one neighbour he's listened in on and it's clear that this man, he's married but he's having a gay affair. And he says of them, uh, right, one day either he'll jump out a window or his wife will find out. Either way, you know, what does it matter if you tell them I'm listening into them? Nothing will make a difference. I think he literally says nothing will make a difference. There's a moment later on where he talks about how he let the sailor go even though the sailor was guilty. And at the time when he uh, uh, sent down the man who was having an affair with his girl. Hugo Holbling. Hugo, Hugo Holbling, yeah. Exactly. Who sounds like a Captain America villain. Humiliate. But, <laughs> but, uh, but like even then when he's talking about the sailor, like, and he's like, well, he, he was guilty, but he started a family, had a bunch of kids. And Valentine's like, then you did what was necessary. And it's like, that's a very strange way of looking at your use of power. It's that very sort of like Matrix Revolutions way of what happened, happened, and couldn't have happened any other way, for we are alive. It's that sort of approach. Mm. It's like, um, why is him having children and a, yeah. <laughs> and a grandchildren a good thing when this world is terrible? Yeah. Well, via Meb. I also just like uh, that uh, piece of casting, considering all you've said, I mean, that character of the judge uh, does fit in very much to the CV of its star, Jean-Louis Trintignant having played similarly kind of, um, I suppose, impotent or at least had, characters have had a certain amount of urgency taken away from them in films like My Night at Maud's or The Conformist or even in Amour to a certain extent where he mm. finds himself having to look yeah. after his, his stroke-ridden wife. <coughs> he finds that the happiness, that the love in their relationship. Okay, yeah, that was him. Oh. See, this is how little Darren knows about European cinema. Thank right, you. thank the, There you are. I think it just goes to show how long Jean Louis Trintignant has been yeah. in business. Like, I mean, he's I mean, not young talking, here. We're yeah. talking about films he's, like where he's made with uh, where he's made with Bertolucci and uh, and uh, Romer. I mean, yeah. he's been there for decades. He's, and he's, he's he, ninety now. He's just a judge in this, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, it, it, um, no, he's Kern. He gets he does get a name. It's Kern. Oh, he does. Yeah, oh yeah, oh, okay. the Kern, yeah, jo- uh, Joseph Kern. But, but I mean, everybody just calls him the judge. And in fact, I think he's credited as the judge yeah. as well at the end. Uh, in fact, very few of the characters in the movie have names outside of Karine, August, and Valentine in the closing credits. Even uh, Michelle. Valentine gets a, 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 name. a surname as well because she's on the Dussault. Because she's on the news. <laughs> yeah. It's a very strange news because it just kind of like will freeze frame. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be done for cinematic effect. <laughs> I think so. Somehow. I somehow, yeah. Yeah. But they, yeah it, Anyway, yeah, Jean-Louis Trintignant. He's been there a long time. May he continue to be there for at least a little while more. Oh, God bless him. In terms of, oh, by the way, in terms of Kieslowski, actually, just while we're talking about that actor in question, it's worth noting that he's talked about, like, being directed by Kieslowski as an experience. And this is where we talk about, like, Kieslowski's primary motivation not being, like, logic or character or narrative or plot, but emotion, where it's like... Sure, he's not friend. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like... Um, <laughs> He talks about the experience of like 
Yeah, he, he wasn't very good at, like, offering insight into character motivation. There was a moment when I, like, take her ticket and look at her ferry ticket, and I had no idea why I was doing it. And Kieslowski just said, take her ticket, look at it, and hand it back to her. And that was it. Like, that's apparently, like, his experience of working with Kieslowski. It sounds like what we're saying about David Lynch when we did the <laughs> Twin Peaks <laughs> Return episode. You don't know. He gets you things. You're not quite sure why you have to do them, but it makes sense to him. The yeah. scene it felt like well, that, yeah. though. Did it not? <laughs> <laughs> it felt like the character. It was kind of like, show me your ticket. Okay, looking at your ticket. Uh, no, it and felt, there you go. No, to, it felt more, to me, it felt more like a, a paternal move. Like, here, let me check your ticket for you. That's okay. You can yeah. go on now, love. And it's tangible, you. and you can hold it, and it's it's real, and it's material, and, and it's bright red. <laughs> of course, it's bright. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the the color itself just interjects constantly. Traffic lights, red cars, red items of furniture. The her most abstract ever. chewing gum her advertisement chewing gum ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, particularly because the ch- if you look at when we only see the the billboard or the sort of the poster in full once. The actual chewing gum wrapper is green. And it's tiny. Yeah. In the corner under the it's, slogan. You know, I mean, what was the slogan like? Uh, f- fresh in your life. A breath of or life. A breath of life. Yeah. 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 Again, they do chewing gum advertising differently in yeah, Europe. It's, uh, it's a long way from the double mints. I uh, that chewing gum. <laughs> is it the breath of life, Andrew? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 like there, 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 there is a kind of a... Um, a freshness and a sadness. <laughs> I love that. I love that when they're taking pictures. When like the photographer is taking pictures. Let's get the sad one. Yeah. For our, our big like twenty four by eight. Or, um, this is uh, trying to sound more like Derek Zoolander advertising <laughs> aftershave. Yeah. Moisture is the essence of life. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> sadness is the essence of life. And red uh, is a color you'll associate with gum. Again, again, this that kind of speaks to we talked we joked about it earlier, but like the the way in which they these films embody a certain like almost kind of parodic quality of like European cinema, where it's like where you're filming a chewing gum commercial or you're shooting for a chewing gum advertisement, and the photographer's instruction isn't like make sure you're chewing it, you're harder, you're concentrating, you're smiling, you're having a good time. It's sad, more sad, sadder. But she, it's strange as well because she was blowing bubble gum. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't the... I don't think that was the product that she was selling. No, that, that seemed to me more like a spearmint gum to me. Yeah. Why would they use... Again, why would they use red? Red's <laughs> but it does look absolutely beautiful. So one of the photos... One of the photos they were thinking of using for 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 the... Yeah, like the spearmint white chewing gum. The stuff that they put in the in in the door. One of the photos they were thinking of using was a model with this huge, like, kind of red, kind of pink bubble oh, gum coming out yeah. with a little kind of asterisk saying, like, the product, product may not match. <laughs> but it's like that photo big, in this advertisement. That big billboard on the side of the road, like, she could be with the big red. No, I don't know. I assume they expect her to be advertising like Elizabeth Arden red door or something. Yeah, or or like yeah, or a perfume or a fragrance. Yeah. You know, it's like those things that you can't sell because they're intangible. As name, opposed to name, very name, name a specific perfume or fragrance. Uh, I just know uh, boss specificity. Yeah. Great, yeah. good, yeah. good. Okay. okay, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, no, that, but 
and again, going for those advertising money. <laughs> <laughs> we but are we, trying to get that. Board. We are trying to get Hugo Boss back on board. But I mean, like, and as much as we back on board, I like that they walked away from the, the table. They walked dark. away from the table mainly because we bothered them during dinner. It's okay. But, we got Burberry and Victor Roth on line two. But uh, like, and, and as much as we joke about that, I and mean, we do joke about it, it looks absolutely beautiful. Like the entire film is just stunning to look at. Yeah. And I mean, a large part of that's the visual sort of like the, the way in which the, the red. frame, the red, the color, the way it pops, it saturates. And I mean, even things like, and again, maybe this is just me because again, I haven't watched uh, The Double Life of Veronique in a long time. Um, I watched a short film about killing, which I think was one of the Decalogue, which it's is really the Decalogue that uh, was stretched out. Yeah. Appropriately enough, it was uh, the fifth episode, Thou Shalt Not Kill. Yeah. Um, but, like, this is a lot more... And I don't want to say playful, because that sounds kind of flippant, but the camera is a lot more energised in this film as opposed to in blue, as opposed to in white, as opposed to in my memory of the double life of Veronique and as, uh, in my memory of a short film about killing. Like, you have these wonderful camera movements. You know, obviously the pans that exist to, like, get um, Valentine and August in the same shots mm-hmm. uh, in order to emphasize this idea of lives that are moving in parallel, ships passing in the night. They're connected even though they don't know it. That's it, exactly. But even things like, for example, the moments, that wonderful opening sequence where that you follow the phone line. Through uh, under the sea, under the channel. Yeah. yeah. And emerging the other side. I, the speed of it, I kept thinking... What, did Danny Boyle shoot this? That's exactly. And even the bit when he's like in the theatre talking about when he dropped his book and and the camera just falls falls as if watching him. Or when he's talking about like how he broke his pen and the camera pulls back out of the room and into the billiard table to look at... I've I've seen the... Zack Snyder. (laughs) The Zack Snyder of the European art house circuit. Um, But you... you, It's like heavily stylized, very strong particular colour palette and lots of unnecessary cameras. But I I don't don't think they're unnecessary. I want to say the 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 free uh, kind of lingering shot on the news we we we've had that before in the 250 we have we, indeed we, with we, uh, once upon a time in america once upon a time in america where they're watching the news and then the guy looks street williams looks directly at the camera, directly at the camera <laughs> and talks and it, in slow motion about the theme of the movie directly yeah. to robert de niro um which is the magical realism of that. yeah yeah anyway um, but yeah, no. But I mean, the it's it's a very visually stylish film, and it's it seems much is more. Is this a dream? <laughs> that, that is it exactly. Uh, but it has. Well, I think it is a dream. Like I think I think it very clearly is a dream. Like he talks about. There's a lot of yeah. talk of dream. The judge talks about the dream yeah. that he had as it's, well. Uh, is it a dream? I don't know. There's. Well, I mean, in the same way that all films are dreams to a certain extent, it's not going for naturalism. It's not going for realism. It's not going even for verisimilitude, yeah, I, I don't think. I think even just in terms of its style. Again, for naturalism it, or realism or verisimilitude. Yes, Darren's very fond of, of those three that things. thesaurus you got me for Christmas. <laughs> it fell open as I was coming down the stairs. I can't uh, help it. Um, what, what about truth? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's, a, that's a funny thing about the trilogy as a whole, in that they do... You know, they're grounded in a certain amount, in a recognizable reality, but they're told with the stories are told with just enough style and enough flashes of of visual pizzazz that uh, and not to cheapen them, I suppose, but but they are there, like the big camera swoop from the top tier of the theater. Of the theater straight down. To, to mirror the book form. Yeah, or even the sequence where the camera is on the street and then it moves up to the bedroom window. Mm. And it's moving from August, like, running indoors to catching Valentine in her room going to bed 
into the window to look at the phone ringing. You know, that, which is a very showy camera move. But, but it's there with purpose. Yeah. I mean, it is there to drive... It's not like the narrative, but the theme. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you have Auguste and Valentine the same shot, it's like... Repeatedly. The, 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 yeah. the camera is basically saying these two should be together. Yeah. They don't know it yet, but we do. Yeah. And we don't really see them get together. Even at the end, the only reason they're brought together is because a ferry sinks beneath them. Hundreds of people have died. There's nobody watching the movie think nobody deserves to be with her. Where are you going to find the guy? I wouldn't blame them. But at the same time, she, there's a great line where... I she think that all the time. Just <laughs> walking she, about the place. Is what, like, no, she, no one deserves her. No one deserves <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, no one uh, deserves me. No, like, like um, <laughs> the world, world is full of all these fantastic uh, uh, women and these kind of nothing guys. Present company excluded. Speak for itself. Um, I don't know. It, the, there's a great I line. said present company excluded. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm... For, <laughs> this podcast got very French very quickly. Um, what's remarkable though is like actually we haven't gotten back to Andrew's original question, He's which French. was why is this shot in Switzerland? And it kind of I think though it I think this serves to wrap a bow around what we're talking about here, which is it underscores how interconnected everything is. Uh, the idea and it's a theme that runs through the series as well. Like you have, for example, in blue you have Julie arriving in the opening scene of White. She literally walks into she the walks into the court case, yeah. the divorce trial of yeah. Carol and Dominique. Yeah, for example. And you have obviously at the end of this all the characters brought together with like fourteen you know, fourteen hundred and twenty eight people dying to get that one shot, which as somebody pointed out is the most French romantic comedy ever. It's like you want to get these two people together, but well, you're gonna have to kill fourteen hundred people. And that nice girl from the weather station as well. But like, well, he, she was on a yacht. Though, she was on a yacht. I think yeah, but they were missing. And, and they're they're two, yeah, there are two people missing on a yacht as Smashed well. Yachts. Yeah, but I mean, um, but it gets to this idea of how the world is all connected. I mean, and even Blue, which is about freedom, mm-hmm. is about you know Julie learning to be without her husband and child and trying to cut herself off, but realizing that she can't. Because everybody's interconnected. Like the symphony like keeps intruding on her whether yeah. she wants to or not. The closing scene of Blue is absolutely beautiful with this. It's symphony. one of the great montages where yeah. you have all these characters that she's been introduced to throughout the film, whether it's the guy who found the crash first, her husband's lover, the uh, prostitute who lives downstairs. Yeah. yeah. They're all uh, they're, they're all, all connected. Connected through this song for the unification of Europe. I've yeah. just realized uh, Phil's glasses are the French connection. Ah, they nice. are right there on the side of them French kid. Darren I think you might have to take a picture of these <laughs> yeah. uh, just to prove it actually did happen also a lovely connection there uh, the other star of Amour Emmanuel Riva plays Julia Benoche's mother in blue Ah, but I mean even in white you have this idea of like Poland is now Europe for example and even like here or at least it's trying to be Yeah, I mean there's a definite difference between uh, the cobblestone the polished cobblestones of Paris with the blank <laughs> Leak, grey yeah. like the, the little blank slate the uh, white page yeah of, with of the Poland. Snow, like yeah. there's a there's a suggestion I think in white that Kishlowski is maybe not so thrilled with his homeland but it's trying god bless us um, but I mean and even here you have the use of things like the telephone wires, which go through the channel and can like can connect Valentine with her boyfriend Michelle, who I suspect we're going to talk about in a moment. But like can connect with the two of them across like Hungary, the United Kingdom. Like, it, like, like they can be connected, but yeah. 
uh, as you say, they, like they can be connected in that way, but it doesn't change the fact that there has been some kind of disconnect in their relationship, yeah. as we learn from the phone calls, because we never see Michelle. No. It's only over the phone. Avec but, la voix de... Avec la voix de... La voix de... I don't know, I didn't know the name of the actor, but that's literally all that he's credited as. He's not even credited as Michelle, he's credited with Avec la voix de... Um, but, uh, and again, this gets back to the thing... It seems like a proxy. Yeah. Like the the, oh, the, the phone phone calls are, are are just kind of a, um, a substitute for actual human but interaction. But he also got a, a, a thesaurus, <laughs> some authenticity, um, some veracity. Yeah. To <laughs> thank thank you, Andrew. Like the idea, I suppose this is something that has only become more relevant now. I mean, we're in an age where, like, I'm sat here with an iPad in my lap. We've yeah. all got our phones and whatever else. We're recording this via laptop. I mean, like, people will be listening to this across the world. I mean, like, people are listening in Brazil. In, you know. Playing this in strip clubs. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're into. Okay, well, uh, that, that's an... In- <laughs> want, what? Like, what? a two-hour-long two dance. Why is it whenever I'm on, it's, this turns into the 250 after drop? It's, it's not just when you're on. <laughs> I'm for that. It's the other... It's the other... It's the co-host. Oh, it's great to meet a listener. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but again... I, to bring it back to Andrew's original question, roughly an hour after he asked it, though, I think that it, it's <laughs> ironic. French. It's no, no, but that's, that's it. It's, it's ironically. It's ironically playing with the idea of French. But as much as anything can be French in the 90s, where you have this idea of European integration. Like, I mean, the famous thing is that we talked about how the films were, and I, again, I adore this. Like, this is, again, if you're going to go European art house, go full European art house, where it's like, I wrote these films, you know, I produced these films so I could win at the three big European film festivals, baby. Grand Slam. But you know the story with the Oscars? Um, they turned down, the, the basically, the, they turned down Red. To, or no, they, they offered Red the opportunity to be the best foreign film submission from Switzerland, wasn't it? No, what happened was well, it happened twice. Par- I, pardon my uh, confusion. Oh, no, not at all. This is where I should know better. But well, the this first, is, this the first is, one was with blue. Wasn't first it? one was with blue. So like, um, so what happened is because again, nineteen ninety three is Venice and Berlin. Nineteen ninety four in March is Cannes. So that gives you two award seasons you could compete in. So they picked blue and they picked red. Oh, even at that time, they decided that white was you know the lesser among equals, so to speak, ironically enough. The Academy did. No, the the people's, the production team, the producers. So what they did was they submitted... For consideration. Yeah, for consideration. So they committed, they submitted Blue in 1993. To Venice. No, no, but to the Academy. Academy. As a French film. The Academy turned it down and said... They said it was too Polish. That's it, exactly, right? Even though, again... There's no, it's French produced, set in France, French cast. Okay, There's not a word right. of Polish in it, I believe. Um, although, in interviews afterwards, uh, part of the reason that um, Benosha is drawn to the project is because she has Polish roots and was originally considered for the role of Veronique in The Double Life of Veronique. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I, so clearly you can see why she jumped to the chance to yeah. finally work with Kishlovsky. But apart from things like that and Kishlovsky's nationality and where his, uh, some of his collaborators... It is. It's the least. It's the least non-French of, of the, the three. three. But anyway, so like, so blue got rejected because it wasn't French enough, right? So they learned something. They're like, okay, we got one more shot at this with red. What we're gonna do is we're gonna get Switzerland to submit this as their foreign language Oscar film, purely and they'll because have because it's set there. Yeah, purely because it's set there, and like, look, they rejected the French, the one we actually did with France. They'll have to accept this one. The Academy rejected Red because it was too French to be Swiss. 
which is kind of amazing. Well, that's the thing about Switzerland as well. I mean, you're talking about interconnectedness. You're talking about a country that has, uh, whose official languages are French, German and Italian. Yeah. Uh, we, and there is set a film which is entirely in French written into and made uh, to a large extent by Poles yeah and again I, like this is the thing where the world is so networked and so together and so small now and everything's yeah, all connected I mean the making of the film is reflecting its own theme yeah that quite, which, quite dizzyingly which I, which I adore like it's one of the things I love about the trilogy and does again, that sort of thing still matter to the Academy or why did it matter then like because they haven't a clue what to do. The foreign we've talked about. Well, I mean, we talked about the absurdity of the foreign language one before. When we had Phil on talking about like the Battle of Algier, it yeah. famously did it, it was nominated for Oscars in two different years. Yeah, it won. Did it win the foreign language it film? Win, it but it was win. nominated was in nineteen sixty six, I think. And then the following year was best nominated for best director. Best director. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's like the foreign language film Oscar is an absurdly arbitrary sort of. Uh, field in in general and like i love that you have this situation which sort of demonstrates it but again you have this idea of the world being more connected than it was of people being tethered together and i love that like red because red is about fraternity in some ways like all the films are about fraternity they're about our connections to one another and you know they all are to a certain extent like what we were saying earlier you mentioned you made reference to the late great roger ebert and he about how he struggled to teach the decalogue um, but probably his most famous contribution in analysing these films in that he said that they're defined not by what they are, but by what they're not. In that blue is a tragedy that isn't tragic. White isn't a com- is a comedy that isn't co- isn't very funny. I disagree with that. It's it, it, it maybe not comedic, but I can laugh at it. And red is a romance that isn't all that romantic. I think it's romantic. It's not big R romantic, but it's more romantic in that fraternal brotherhood of man kind of way. I mean, there's very little hint of any suggestion that, say, Valentine and the judge could ever be a thing. I mean, besides a weird age gap, it's just, it's not hinted at. It's never suggested. Well, I mean, it's it's a very kind of European (laughs) art house way to market things. Imagine it like, this is our new cake, which isn't tasty. Um, This is our our new car that won't go fast. (laughs) This is our new lawnmower that won't actually cut anything. (laughs) Darren, by the way, that lawn, seriously, we're looking out the window here, the daisies. I'm sorry, I have to use lawnmower. Um, (laughs) It's it's wild like Darren. uh, um, Darren Darren is is becoming a new man. He's going to be planting a, a cherry tree. Um, later, later, later on today, Darren. Why do I feel of... like Kishlasi's lawnmower would have run over Schrodinger's cat? <laughs> Possibly. Um, but like, and it's well, it's interesting that you should mention that about the romance between the judge or the lack of romance, the ro- the anti romance, as it were, between yeah. the judge and Valentine. Because yeah. what you have is this weird thing that Red does, and it, I think it distinguishes it from White and Blue, where it seems to play with this almost elastic concept of time. So like, and it's kind of fascinating that like our two romantic leads are Valentine and August. Valentine's being February and, and August being August. Six months apart, as far as apart as it is possible for months to be in time, which I quite like the small touch. But the idea that like August is to a certain extent and not in a literal way, because again, this is the logic of these films. But August is like a temporally displaced version of the judge. In that he suffers the, almost the exact same, the same series of events. And yeah. the same successes. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. Is a, it is a fascinating thing. It's one of the things I just love to think about when it comes to this film. Like you say, August. He's young, 
lawyer, relatively new, newly graduated. New judge, isn't he? Yeah, new judge. New yeah. judge, I beg your pardon. Newly graduated and working in the magic position. Uh, but he does have the very similar chain of events. He's in a relationship with a woman, which subsequently goes south when he discovers she's having an affair. She when he sees her wide legs with a man between them. In the them. same circumstance. Yeah. A lot of cuckolding in this. <laughs> Again, in it keeping happens. with the David Lynch Twin Peaks recurring themes that Andrew has noticed. And, uh, and you know, sexual liaisons with the French. <laughs> Sorry, <point>. Swiss. Uh, <laughs> the daughter are listening in to... Like, oh, her, that's just so... Her father and his lover, Pierre and Perrault, isn't it? Pierrot Le Fou, eh? Yeah. Uh, it's, well, that scene is both funny and weird. It's like... Sad. Put that phone down. <laughs> very, very sad as well. She's still kind of smiling because well. I don't think she quite grasps. How could you? Yeah, that's going to be a She's lot a of ther- that's going to be a lot of therapy to unpack. But yeah, yeah, you have like August is very much a stand-in for the judge. Like he's introduced with his dog, which the you know the judge later you, the judge yeah. has the dog that he refuses to have. He drops the book, which lands on the answer that's in his yeah. exam, which is the exact same thing that happens to the judge later on. I think the idea is uh, that. She is fascinated by the judge and she warms to him. The only thing that prevents it from being a romance is that they're just clearly two separate in time. He's a character in his mid-60s. She's a university student. We're French, but we're not that French. Here's a younger version. Yeah. And at the end, we don't see them get together, but all the the shots that have them passing by each other and... Just, it feels like they're destined they have to come together because all the other elements are there to suggest that that relationship is meant to be yeah which is remarkable now that's romantic it's well, all like a lot of a lot of French movies are about the struggle of like how do you reconcile like an older man with a younger woman <laughs> and, it, and, and Red comes up with the best response to date <laughs> yeah <laughs> the most the, arty response also, also see Leon <laughs> yeah. another 1994 film as yeah, well actually yeah. where the the uh, director Luke Besson yes his own <laughs> his own um, issues girlfriend his, yeah. 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 did you cover Leon we did indeed early on as I we did indeed it was one of our first ones and Andrew was never forgiven me for making him watch the international cut of Leon yeah the most European one it's the most European of cuts um, in not the best ways but like to to kind of I like that aspect of Red because I mean as the film is repeatedly very cynical about this idea like the irony that we live in a connected world while being more and more disconnected which is as you pointed out is like a theme that is universal and perhaps more relevant now than when the film was released. Where you have like interactions online that are not real. You can have friends who are like half the world away. You can... I think you you often have to remind yourself they're not real. It's probably what saves you from things like abuse on Twitter. Yeah. Hey, Darren? (laughs) But yeah, you have this idea of like the ability to connect instantly with people who are separated by incredible distances from you and to have these bonds and these that kind of forge across this incredible divide. Mm. And at the same time, the irony and the paradox of that is that, like, people feel more alone than ever. Like, they've done studies and surveys where things like using Facebook, using Twitter, using Instagram actually make you feel depressed and alone. Where, and I mean, whereas listening to podcasts actually make you feel more uh, together. connected yeah. and uh, together and, uh, like, satisfied as a person. Yeah. Making it's like, they say that, like listening to to podcasts is one of the best things you can do for uh for your mental health so you see we're actually helping we're saving your (laughs) lives people yeah yeah before you listen to this podcast you're like going down a dark road 
and now you and now you're here with us and everything's going to be okay can we just advocate that when once you finish listening to this podcast that you perhaps telephone a loved one but <laughs> get in contact with your parents <laughs> but tell, I, that, yes. tell that person who you might be interested in as uh, you'd like to grab a coffee with them sometime just Adam, do I've, something i've that... been in love with you for so long <laughs> stop ignoring me one step at a time my friend <laughs> Knock on the window where your girlfriend is sitting with the man with whom she's having an affair while he shows her really boring photographs. They're like a boat. She sees your vulnerability. Just make sure to get her attention using the pen she bought you. Um, again, not at all a Freudian metaphor. I mean, like, and again, like, I love, again, we're talking about, like, the quintessential European art houseness of the films. The opening sequence where, like, where Veronique, uh, sorry, Valentine, sorry, Valentine. Well, she don't speak Veronique, to be yeah, fair. Where Valentine gets the phone call from Michelle, and he's like, uh, are you alone? All alone? She's like, yes, all alone. And it's like, I feel like maybe the film is like, hitting a key point here it's like the distance between them <laughs> is not just geographical like, is it well he couldn't possibly be just kind of pointing out my isolation <laughs> maybe he wants kind of like to have like a sexy chat and he's like okay gotta go <laughs> yeah. you're alone bye <laughs> we, we are all alone <laughs> but like yeah and she's like I was so lonely I slept with your jacket last night. But there's a sense of, like, isolation. It's mm. like, cool story. Gotta <laughs> 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 go. It's clear whether as a result of this separation for what for his job or whatever that there is this huge distance that's come between them and it's led to him becoming very possessive and, and paranoid. paranoid. Yeah. yeah. Paranoid. She's like, hey, Michelle, hey, what a piece of work. Hey, 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 Michelle. I want to ask you if you love me the uh, as much as I the, love you, the, yeah, and beautiful model. He says, <laughs> I like, think I do. I think I do. I guess you do, uh, or you think you do. Same thing. Same thing. Like, yeah. Your girlfriend's your ninja cop. Get off the fence. <laughs> he probably gets off the phone and he's like, "Oh, women, eh?" <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that. There's an idea of like three colors mauve, which is just his version of events. Mauve. I don't know. Mauve. 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 Right. mauve. That's the Chinese version. But uh, Chairman Mao, the desolation of Mao. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do I, like, and even then, like he goes from that straight to, uh, "You cheating on me? Are you cheating on me? You're getting in the shower. Are you alone? Are you alone in the shower? What are you doing? Who's yeah, operating? <laughs> Who's operating the head of the shower? How does it? How does it stay up? Yeah. How are you? How are you like uh, getting the the soap out of the dispenser? Yeah, um, tell me everything. I know there's yeah, somebody there. Like, no, there's a thing. It holds. It holds <laughs> the head of the shower at a point where it points onto me. How long have you been sleeping with this thing? Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> this is not dialogue from the film. <laughs> it's only can that a head of the shower do things that I can't do okay, for you? Okay, thank you, Andrew. But so, uh, but like. Give me, hang on, just pass me a note. So tell me, my young hair, when did you start hearing these voices? Seriously, dude. But again, you have this idea of like, despite the fact they are connected, and the same thing with the judge who's listening in on people's conversations. Yeah. Their most intimate moments, arbitrating like truth as it exists between these people, um, who is still completely isolated and alone. The film returns time and time again to characters framed in windows, encased in glass, trapped you know sort of like locked out from the world yeah once he stops uh, listening in the conversations the windows are start breaking so yeah. in a very roundabout way he starts getting liberated from his cage the, even, even though it's gonna, co- it's gonna cost a fortune in a glazier 
Yeah, but that's it. Well, I mean, it's, it's the world literally forcing itself in, which mm. is quite nice. It's the most upbeat sort of public the shaming. Up, yeah. The most upbeat act of, uh, of uh, vigilantism <laughs> and vandalism. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, how uplifting. Even even petty crime is uplifting in the world of Kishlowski. Um, And in terms of things like this idea of fate that runs the film, because again, there's this weird disconnect or sort of like this, and again, I, I think it's the brilliance of the film, but where you have this contrast between the networks that people have created. So things like the phone lines that connect like the channel that get from, you know, France to England with the camera following it. But even things like the... Chanel. Uh, th- thank you, thank you, Andrew. But even things like the Actually, fairy... To be fair, in French, the English language is La Manche. So. I know. <laughs> I know. But even things like the fairy English service. English Chanel. <laughs> English Chanel. <laughs> That's a uh, London. Coco is the one to the south, unfortunately. Get to London. <laughs> but like even things like the ferry service that connects, you know, mainland Europe to Britain, for example. These systems are all prone to like break and they, they push us apart and they put us in danger, you know, literally in certain cases. But at the same time, you have this weird fixation that runs through the film. Not weird, but this interesting contrasting fixation so that runs through the film. This with, human fixation. But, but no, not, not even that. In like... This idea of something more than human? Because it's this idea of fate that plays throughout the film. We're talking about like when he's crossing the street and the book just happens to fall open on the right page to help him pass his exam, which happened as well earlier on. You have things like the coin toss, which happens simultaneously with, you know, uh, the Judge Kern and the Judge uh, August, for example, and then landing on different sides. But you have even, you know, little things like them, all the characters from the trilogy being on the ferry at the same time. The fact that Kern's case ends up involving Karine and that's how she meets the man who, with whom she has the affair later on. You so have, in fact, even things like... And he uh, just, the way he just falls on top of her. <laughs> he just happened yeah. to be lying there. Both naked. <laughs> <laughs> or the fact that... Uh, is, is, this, is this a moan? Does this look like I'm... Oh, I've fallen over. <laughs> I'll try and get up, but not too... Not too... Uh, not too it might take a few attempts. <laughs> yeah. uh, boys. Uh, we're all, like, this is a French film, Phil. Can't be helped. True. Uh, like, or also... The fact that uh, Valentin may be at the bowling alley at the same time yes. as August. And the yeah. only clue we get is the presence of his brand of cigarettes. Yes, the Marlboro. Again, 250 trope, inappropriate smoking as it's well. It's for yeah. a French film, what do you want? <laughs> um, but I mean, even yeah, even the judge, even Kern points out, you know, you could have been at the same bowling alley at the same time. Mm. Which is, again, another one of those missed opportunities. But you have this idea of, like, the entire universe is conspiring to get... Uh, Valentine and August yeah. together, and like, uh, and again in the bowling alley, absolutely swamped them in red. Yeah, the red bowling ball, the red water—it's everywhere. Yeah, and and again, like if you're being cynical, like maybe Andrew was, there's a sense of trying to get you know Valentine and Kern together in a certain way, if you catch my meaning. Uh, but I'm no, I, I uh, the director is like. But I think that there is something fascinating in that contrast that exists between the idea of man-made networks, of which the film is incredibly wary and sceptical, yeah. and like, you know, borderline sort of like paranoid about. It's gee, whereas, I, I can't imagine why I identify with this film at all. Yeah, well, I mean, again, this is the Eastern European thing where things like phone lines were used to keep track of people. And, mm. you know, it's, it's also this very identifiable thing of, of living in... In, in towns that aren't kind of uh, communities as such. Like, have you ever had the experience of even in somewhere like um, uh, like Sligo, where, where, where Darren up. and I would have grown up, 
um, when I meet somebody for the first time, say, um, hang out with them, and we've probably seen them like mm. hundreds of times yeah. before. Just but passing on the just, street. Exactly. But, you but now them. you see them. Yeah. You know, where, where, where did they, the, 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 the characters. And I, I had somebody, um, um, uh, talk to me about like experiencing that in Black Rock saying kind of like, oh, the, the, this, um, this person. And then I saw them the next day and I was like, yeah, but you probably see them every day. Yeah. 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 And I mean, as Phil pointed out, even in this film, they're often in the same shot. Like again, one of the reasons why this film is it has a much more dynamic camera than white or than blue is so Kieslowski can include them both in the same shot to illustrate how close they are both in time and space to one another while narrowly missing mm. and it, it's kind of fascinating how much of that is although I will say that like the film's emphasis on human conversations in particular this idea of the judge being literally drawn out into the world like he, he opens up his garage and his garage as the French would call it um, car hole <laughs> Um, and like takes out his car for what's implied to be the first time since he in a while like it's it has that Switzerland sticker on the back which if anybody who was around during the 90s will mean that he was last time he used it he was crossing borders like he was traveling across Europe Um, that little sticker saying Switzerland GE on the back Um, but I mean yeah CH CH apologies uh, but I mean, even even then, you have sort of like this idea of her drawing him out into the world and this very human conversation that exists between the two of them. In the sense that this is the first real human interaction he has allowed himself to have since he had that horrific kind of breakup experience, since the, the loss of the woman he loved, but who it's was separated funny, from though, him. though, like how there's no, nothing kind of like especially unique, I guess, about his um, experience. And yet he's used it as this kind of explanation for why he's been like a shell of a man Keeping since. Tom, yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, so your girlfriend cheated on you. Um, um, Big whoop. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like the person the person making the, 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 the movie, kind of like the premise seems to be, you see, like it all makes sense now. <laughs> Because he was made a cuckold of, <laughs> yeah, and um, but th- but then I suppose you you con- contrast that with um Auguste who 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 is made um vulnerable and pathetic and he's humiliated in in kind of the same way, yeah, and then um like he even it, thinks of abandoning his dog in the same way that Kern you know sort of abandons his dog with his indifference where he's like yeah. should I take it to the vet if you like. Uh, whereas like August can't abandon his dog. Like, no, he, he drops the dog off, and then later on you see him carrying it onto the boat. By the way, did the dog survive? I want to think the they... dog survived. Oh, yeah, that's a good so, question. Yeah, they, so, like, there was oh, no. On the lighter oh. side of the news, a dog survived <laughs> a ferry crash ferry. in which a thousand five hundred people <laughs> died. <laughs> we'll have an interview with him after the sports. Um, <laughs> But yeah, sorry, you were you were saying before. Oh. Now, <laughs> he's infinitely a more hopeful. Now, than now a video of, of a retired judge <laughs> um, and some Being puppies. Being sentenced. Yes. By the way, what happens to his court case? Um, it is a civil case, to be fair. It's a civil case, so he probably would be fined and had to sell the house. Yeah, I sell a house worth a lot of money. Look quite big. Yeah. But anyway, it has sorry. a whole lot of windows that have been smashed. Up. <laughs> yeah. That's um, a lot of investment. Did you guys did in enjoy as, as much as I did the um <laughs> the scene of 
a puppy. <laughs> like, Climbing over oh, the little, yeah, the little enclosure that, was that he had. Was huge. Yeah, I wonder how many people kind of uh, approached the director and it's like, um, really enjoyed <laughs> that part in Three Colors Rouge with the, with the puppy. The adorable puppy. Out of box. Anything else you liked about the movie? I think there's the implication. Auguste may have lost his dog, but if Valentina adopts a puppy... You love a new dog. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. I'm pretty sure that's a happy ending there. Uh, a moment of silence, please, for Auguste's original dog. <laughs> um, out of curiosity, actually, was I the only one? And this is kind of weird. And again, this maybe this will be very. You're the only one. On this, you're all. You're all alone, Darren. I'm all alone. All alone. Um, like everybody in this cold and empty networked world in which we live. Um. Yeah. But yeah. So. Um, what, Were got, you the only one who... who dot, dot, dot. But I got a sexy exclamation mark. But I got the... Um, God, that tagline. Sorry, you sent that to me in a picture last week, that uh, image from Three Colours Blue with, the, with that uh, tagline. tagline. Just, I'd seen it before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The 90s were a slightly different time. But it, question? my question anyway is, those sequences with um, Valentine and Kern, where they're having those conversations in the house... Did they remind anybody else of like Silence of the Lambs to a certain extent where you have like the older man and the younger woman and it's like, I tell you things and you tell me things. Quid quo pro. Yeah. Where it's like, tell me this dark secret that resides inside yourself. Was it your, was it your boyfriend or was it your brother? Um, that sort of thing, where it's this weird I think, I'm going to... At the start, I can see why you do that, because he's tr- it's trying to be a bit of a power play. He's trying to get one over on her in hopes that she might just go away. But, well, first of all, it's not, it, it's not shot entirely like... No, no, I mean, it, yeah. I mean um, nobody does those uh, close-ups of faces like Demi does in Silence of the Lambs. But as well as that, I, thematically and narratively, I can see the, I, I can see the similarities, but I think Kishlowski is just a bit too hopeful to reduce it to that. Yeah, no, no. It, and it kind of, it, the reason why it did occur to me was the sort of like similar, if slightly inverted themes, where you have like the paradox of Silence of the Lambs, which is this idea of two people who are separated by glass, mm. who can't be together... Um, and who get this one moment of touching one another as she hands the f- or as he hands the file back to her, Thank and like, yep, yeah, you have that moment there. Whereas, and then the idea is that that's as close as they're going to come. You can have this meaningful conversation with somebody separated by glass or by cage mm-hmm. or by you know the years that exist between them. Whereas on the other hand, like Three Colors Red has almost the opposite argument, yeah, they, which is that there's no barriers yeah. between them physically. And yet you're, the only time they come close to exchanging a touch is when they touch each other's hands through car a car door window. Yeah. Which is quite... It, it's actually that really lovely shot. Yeah. Because it feels like they kind of want to express those those feelings, but there's a lot of things getting in the way, not least the glass. Darren, you're 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 stretching your neck. <laughs> you're, you're, oh, you're, my arm. You're bending your back. <laughs> your your arm is stretching. <laughs> your toes are stretching. So what you're, you're saying stretching, is, you're Darren. saying it's a bit of a reach is what we're getting at. I think at it is a stretch. Uh, <laughs> I thought you made a comparison to him and uh, Valentina. I was, I was, yes. Good, yeah. good. Um, and again, I like that even then, you like even the ballet class is again, it's a thematic ballet class where yeah. it's like you're extending extending your hand out into the void as if reaching and wanting to touch something then, but it's not there and also you get that fantastic uh, cut of uh, Valentine clearly very clearly exerting herself she's like dripping sweat in the middle of this ballet class and then suddenly cut she's drinking inhaling a, gl- a bottle oh, of water oh it was so satisfying <laughs> it wasn't it was just like oh thank heaven for that 
And then the fashion show as well, which is absolutely beautiful. Again, like so much of this movie is so beautifully red. shot. Yeah, it's so red. It's like, are we selling clothes or any of the clothes? What's what's going on here? What are, just- we sell- are we selling the clothes? Are we selling just the color red? Are we selling your energy cup? I've got no idea. Existential but ennui. That's what we're selling. Existential ennui. Is this French, you say? Um, it is a little bit French. Um, in terms, also in terms of that idea of destiny that we sort of, and this connectedness, which isn't literal. I quite like the sound design of the film. We mentioned it earlier with all the ambient sound in there, but it's no the ambient sound in here too. But it's notable how much of that ambient sound is things like ambulances. So, like for example, there's the helicopter going off when she's talking to Michelle the first time. There's when she's with the photographer, who is the most most French photographer ever. Where it's like, come to my place of work, where I will seduce you in the most heavy-handed fashion possible. But it's like, let me turn off the light and try to kiss you. That's a fantastic shot because it, the camera goes around them yeah. and it goes up to where they're looking at this uh, display yeah. of photographs, on which is this background. It has, it's on lit, this lit on the back, board. Yeah. On this lit board. Uh, but that board is so bright, it's putting a distance between them. He tries to switch it off. He switches it off in hopes that it will bridge that gap. But they just she just turns away. I absolutely him. love again. It's a very French put down. Who are you thinking of? And he tries going for a kiss. Not, Not you. Which <laughs> is like oh okay. Um, although I do like that she goes bowling with him afterwards. So there's no hard yeah. feelings on that. Just have that brutal put down. But even then, like in that sequence, you have sirens in the background. You have the plane overhead when the judge is asking how she's going to get to England. You have this sort of sense of like foreboding, sort of almost mounting pressure mm. leading to this, uh, like, you know, the ferry like, crash. The ferry like, crash is almost inevitable, it seems. Yeah, like you have the uh, plane sound. Isn't that just around the time that she reveals she's afraid of flying? Yes, that's it exactly. It's like, will you fly? And she's like, no, I'll take the ferry because that's much safer. Ah, 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 ah. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, even even that that sort of thing is very like, or even things like the winning of the jackpot. So like the this idea that Italian guy is going to be like riding the boat. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> what was the name of that boat again? <laughs> but I mean, even even the things like you named the ship Titanic too. <laughs> But like I mean, even even things like the jackpot machine um, in the which comes with the red cherries with the red cherries on it, which comes like after she's turned down the photographer and after she's discovered that her brother is featured in like Geneva Weekly as a uh, heroin addict. as a heroin addict, um, whole new meaning to heroin chic uh, in fashion, I think. Oh, but you have this like idea that all these things are connected when she wins. And the bar and the bar owner is like that's. Yeah. that's I, I would. I imagine kind of like um, her ringing him and saying, um, "I saw you on on the front of the newspaper." And he's like, "Are you jealous?" <laughs> Just because like I'm a I'm a, a success. When you're yeah. lying on a newspaper, all you can think about is the money you're making. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, even things like the the cafe owner coming over and saying that's a bad sign, and her saying, "I think I know why." I want to. There's this weird again, this sense that everything's connected, but in a non-literal sense, in like a metaphorical or an abstract sense. It's funny, like the like all this stuff happens. Like you know, she wins on the on the fruit machine, and yet it's like the cafe owner tells her it's a bad sign, and there are moments and lines like that. Where really this should all feel very overplayed and very heavy-handed, but it never really does. It just 
stuff comes and goes. It's not like any one moment or any one line defines the themes or are what Kishovsky is trying to do or are, say. Or even a look. Or even a look. Some of them mean nothing, but you look at them and think they must mean something. Like like when 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 she says uh, to the judge, "Oh, your your dog." is pregnant there's this real serious kind of oh no <laughs> look in his eyes like oh god we were so safe <laughs> um, 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 and then I'm like no that's not what <laughs> was, I, was, was it a pregnant pause it was yeah. a pregnant pause Way. Way. Um, it is worth noting actually in terms of uh, Kaislowski because this was his last film he, he ret- announced his retirement shortly after the Cannes Film Festival Yes, and he passed away two years later of a heart attack. At the Surgery age. after a heart attack. Yeah. yeah, very. So he was only fifty-four. Yeah, which is very very young. But when he was asked about the themes of the film and what Red was about for him, uh, his response his response was: the essential question the film asks is: is it possible to repair a mistake that was committed somewhere high above? The question of like the idea that like Valentine and the judge were meant to be together. He just happened to be born at the wrong time. They missed each other in time. So is it possible to fix that by effectively having August as a do-over almost to a certain extent? Yeah, the thing about August is that besides maybe his interaction with his girlfriend and what happens there, he's a little bit of a blank slate, really. Everything else just seems to be filled in by the judge, just reinforcing the idea that he is the Judge Mark II, that Valentine, she missed him the first time. She might get him this time. She bloody well better because the film is like insistent. You are going to be together, whether you know it or not. Yeah, <laughs> that's my that's all. Also, just in terms of of other stuff, it's worth noting that, uh, and this is kind of heartwarming. Kieslowski was actually very happy with Red. Mm. He's actually come out and said, you know, I think we have shown a way of thinking a little bit differently than film normally does. In film, every moment is clear, but in literature, everything becomes clear when you finish the book. And he thought that Red kind of accomplished that to a certain extent, which is very, very sweet as well. Mm. Well, uh, this is like what I was saying before, that um, sometimes best to analyse the films in the context of the trilogy. Like yeah. the, the end of Red is very much bringing the three together. And and again, maybe... I, I, I kind of got that because I was like, wait, is that Julia Binoche? <laughs> <Yeah>. Julie, tell <laughs> me. What are they doing you here? You guys were just laughing. Yeah. <laughs> during this whole like fairy crash. Horrible fairy Where design. thousands of people are dying. Yeah. You know you know what I want? Including a dog. <laughs> to be clear. I want to hear the story of Stephen Killian. That's the story the I want to hear. The English barman who has appeared in none of the other films. And it's just like, hey, so you guys all know each other, right? Two each. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, one yeah. wild card. One random My guess is they were all at the bar and he was serving. <laughs> he wanted to tease like the the kind of oh, the, uh, yeah. three colors 2010 yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> three colors the return yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's going for that British money so he's going yeah. for three colors red two white two and blue two yeah um, starring Stephen Killian um, as our yeah. new hero who, like, well, who, who, um, who would meet Union Jack <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, now, now I'm imagining a, a three colors trilogy. Guy Ritchie's three colors. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Dominique's leg. Of course it's starring Jason Statham. <laughs> Oi. And Ray Ross. Winston as the judge. Yeah, um. Listen, Polish. 
No, I'll listen on your conversations to be precise. Um, also, and I really, I like this in terms of like connectedness. I just, and again, this isn't connected to anything in particular. This is just a nice piece of trivia that I really like about it. You know the bit at the start where, um, where Valentine's like, I went to see Dead Poet Society, like you told me, Michelle, my loving boyfriend, who's not at all like controlling and obsessive. The reason why that was included actually um, is because Mr. Kaslowski's daughter loves the film. So she loved the film and uh, he saw it. And I, I love the comment here from, I think it's from Janet Maslin as well, reporting from Cannes. Mr. Kaslowski, who is not always so forthcoming about his opinions, likes it too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. I love that little detail. And yet, funnily enough, I like Dead Poets Society, but that is one of those films I think would appeal to the dinner party set that Bradshaw accused these films of being beloved by. <laughs> but that's just my opinion. So I do like Peter Weir, though. In terms of uh, Three Colors Red, is there anything that we want to talk about that we haven't discussed already? Anything that we've kind of missed? Um, I don't know. I just remember I looked over Andrew's shoulder at his notes. I see he had the word puppy written down. Yeah, I, may, I hope he got that. One, yeah, that, that was yeah, that was that was when we were talking about the lovely, the great escape or the great pupscape, as it were. Um, yeah, I like. There's something weird in the emphasis that the movie has in phone numbers, uh, right down to Valentine's answering machine giving her phone number rather than her name, for example. But the emphasis the movie places on like the number of people who died on the ferry disaster, the phone number of the drug dealer who lives across the road, the number of the houses on each of the streets. There's a very strong preoccupation with numbers in it, and I wonder if that's tied to that theme of fate or that theme of like interconnectedness or sort of randomness or arbitrariness at work in the universe possibly um it's well i mean like you see at the start with valentine's uh, voice message she gives her she's not she's not a person she's a number yeah. i mean at the start of the film she's not a person to very many people she's not clearly not one to her boyfriend anymore yeah she's not a person to anybody who calls they just get the phone number she's she's somebody who sells chewing gum and walks catwalks by the end of the film she very much establishes herself as somebody through her interactions with the judge and with other people and we'll hopefully continue to do so after the getting with August and adopting a puppy. And giving that chewing gum company a brand fresh new image that they can put up on their billboards. It's like, this one wasn't from a photo shoot. This is actually the survivor of a massive, uh, a massive sort of fairy disaster. And she wants to breathe fresh too. Yeah. I'm also. I love. I love the image. Fresh, no That's matter what. Yeah. Even in the face like, of impending doom at sea. <laughs> I love that like juxtaposition of that image that they take. Hollywood gum for those in peril <laughs> yeah. on the sea. But I love. The, I love the idea of the frozen freeze frame news image being the exact same as the picture that they took for the gum commercial because this is this is how the you world. You see that like, like you just realized that might be intentional. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's. <laughs> Uh, it's I Lasky guy. He's pretty good, huh? Yeah. He's really yeah, pretty yeah, good. Yeah. He's, he's doing something. Yeah, here. I can see it. Uh, I also like that. Uh, again, speaking of uh, connections in the trilogy, that little old lady finally got the wine bottle yes. in. Yeah. So Andrew will have no idea what we're talking about. There's but... a scene where uh, there's a little old lady trying to shove a wine bottle into a bottle bank, and Valentine, in a move of clear fraternity, goes over and helps her shove it in, and it breaks. In the first two films. You see uh, the little old lady. Is it the same one possible? I think it is the same actor, yeah. Trying to shove. Even the though she's into. in Paris in those two films. Intriguing. But in those two, she tries to do the same thing, and the bottle only gets in so far, and it becomes wedged in the opening of the bin. This one yeah. finally does it. Well, yeah, well, none of the other two characters, Julie doesn't no. help, and Carol doesn't help either. Um, so again, you have this. That's, that's the real arc 
of the Three Colors trilogy. It's Valentine. getting that bottle into that bottle bank. And Valentine sure. finally does it. Love yeah. is all you need. Sure, you have to like travel all the way to Geneva in order to put that bottle in the bottle bank, but you get there in the end. And it, no, no one deserves Valentine, do they? <laughs> right? <laughs> we, we agree, yeah? Right. Okay. Well, whether whether August does or not, that is yet to be determined. Although we don't like really need to break. know anything. He's probably like not a great lover, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa! Okay. I mean, can't you, Mister Sexual Come on, he, he's he's uh, he's playing uh, the judge kind of mark too. Is the thing that they one of the things that they have in common. Is that their pen like doesn't the, work, if you exactly, get what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, his pen doesn't work when he does something inkwell. What were I you implying? I was thinking, boy, we really do have a... I know the film kind of invites us to do this, but we have a very low opinion of his girlfriend, don't we? <laughs> but then again, she cheated on him. Fair enough. Welcome to the 250 well, no, blue. I don't know if she cheated on him. Did she She just stop seeing him? Did she? Th- no, there's no indication the relationship's over. There's no indication the relationship's over. I think it's fairly clear. She started clear. a new one. <laughs> Without <laughs> that, telling that him. That indicates <laughs> yeah. It's quite clear that yours was a term relationship. Are, are we going to have to do another raise your hand if round here, Andrew? Because I am ready to go. I'll have to explain. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not, so you know the way I'm you, not seeing you anymore because I'm seeing this new person. <laughs> and I've been you, seeing them for several months exactly. in my apartment We're in my bed sex. yeah specifically um, you, remember, you know yeah you remember when we stopped i like they didn't i like i like the idea that and, andrew can like andrew can empathize with both you know august who climbs up to the window stares in sees his beloved girlfriend engaged in activity she's really enjoying and at the same time can empathize with the girlfriend who's like, look, we weren't really in a relationship because I'd stopped having sex with you, hadn't bothered to tell you, and started having sex with somebody else. But you can keep the pen. (laughs) It's very effective for tapping on windows. And again, that idea of the window as a barrier that exists between them, which I quite like as well. Before we wrap up then, uh, there's a really nice observation to end on a a highbrow note, but also something, something vaguely optimistic and something that's kind of, I think, very sophisticated and very clever. Uh, Georgina Evans, uh, who wrote an essay about uh, Red for the Criterion Collection, actually, if you can, if you can, you can read the article online, it'll be in our show notes. But she makes the point that there's something very appropriate in the idea of Red being Kozlowski's last film, this idea of the theme of fraternity, uh, because he was always intensely aware that filmmaking was a collaborative creative act. He valued the words of an elderly Polish cameraman who told him that the director is a guy who helps everyone. It is not least through his co-workers that he continues to send ripples through European and Hollywood uh, cinema. Before his death, he did in fact begin a new project, the trilogy of Heaven, Hell and Purgatory, which we talked about. Heaven became a film for Tom Twyker, um, who, you know, went on, well, he had done Run, Lola, Run at that point, but is, you know, still a huge influence in European cinema. Um, the producer of the Three uh, Colors trilogy, uh, Martin Karmitz, has gone on to support like uh, Michael Haneke's films in French, uh, explicitly because he wanted to foster a continuation of Kieslowski's sort of pan-European sort of cinematic vision, which is great as well. Yeah, Haneke is certainly an exponent of that. Um, Presner uh, turned the work he was doing with Kieslowski 
in into Requiem for a Friend. So the stuff that he didn't finish uh, with Kieslowski before he passed Although away. Although he did get a certain uh, amount of a uh, second cinematic life, it's the, the it's the soundtrack to the creation sequence in Terence Malick's The Tree of Life. Nice. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, it's the lacrimosa from the funeral for the friend. Yeah. And then obviously all the cinematographers that he's worked with have gone on to, as you point out, great effect as well. You point out the influence of stuff on, for example, Gattaca um, and even things like Black Hawk Down as well, which are cinematographers who would have worked with Kowalski as well, which is very, very affecting. We didn't talk about the soundtrack that much, actually, because no. I know I know you're a big soundtrack guy. And I actually love the soundtrack to the three films because they're the big kind of like symphony score. Well, we, we have yeah. the next hour of the podcast to talk <laughs> about the music. Oh, no pressure. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, we didn't solve that much. Um, was I'm, I suppose probably because they speak for themselves. In red, it's uh, just those sweeping strings that is kind of tie everything. Bolero, up. isn't it? It's a, they it's have a like bolero, that bolero yeah. rhythm. The yeah, Darren right. knows nothing about music, so he's no, just gesturing with his hands. That, it does have that ratatash yeah. uh, uh, rhythm of a bolero in things like the fashion show sequence. Yeah, and. Um, I think the and notably on the soundtrack album, which is available on Spotify, actually, we'll include a link in the show notes. Yeah. The theme from the trailer uh, is actually used. I don't know. I assume it's the French trailer, the European trailer for yeah. Red, which uses its own version of that, which is included on the soundtrack. Notably, mm-hmm. um, that's fascinating because they're all in chronological order. You can order. go straight to it without leaving the Spotify app. <laughs> yeah, right there. Yeah, <laughs> um, I love the soundtracks. These films, I, the. The soundtrack for White has a lot of Polish folk influence, a lot of folksy violin, the things tango, like that. The, the tango, tango on the when they're the running along the ice. Yeah. By the way, again, another '90s recurring theme throughout these films, and it happens in blue and white. The characters, tangoing. Characters who don't want to live, but can't be bothered to kill themselves. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And obviously Mikolai as well. Where there's that weird sort of 90s ambivalence where it's like I don't really want to... Why don't you stop breathing? Yeah. That's yeah. here. Exactly. I mean, the yeah. judge is another one. The judge is <clears throat> Yeah. Where it's like there's no it's reason like, to... what do you want? Uh, je, I do not want. <laughs> je veux rien. Um, mm. I do love that this is a movie that embodies what we've come to expect from European cinema which is on Schlemet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've probably forgotten that. I'm horribly mangling my Swedish. Or was it Enschlicket? Enschlicket. Um, One of those words anyway. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. Emptiness. Loneliness. Loneliness. Uh, This is our Valentine's Day. Podcast from two years ago. You've only got one Bergman so far. I know. We still have to do Persona and stuff like that as well. Um, but yeah, so I think that about wraps it up in terms of pocket. Unless there's anything else we'd like to talk about with regards to the film. Uh, I think you've covered a lot of the aces, really. Um, I'm sure somebody is yelling at us right now saying, You forgot this! Have your own, do your own. <laughs> <laughs> and Andrew's like, host your own damn podcast. <laughs> um, uh, scream at us in, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you can't scream at me, I'm not there. <laughs> but um, yeah so thank you very much for coming on Phil okay, um, at you. the end of the podcast what we do is we ask our guests to recommend um, things or to even to promote stuff that they're doing but if you have something that you've watched recently that you've listened to recently that you'd like to recommend that people try would you have anything like that and I'm going to jump straight to Andrew because Phil looks like he's going to take a moment to consider this maybe too yeah um <laughs> Well, I I'm, we've done something new for this every week. That's a lot of pressure on you. I'm sometimes two or three times a week. <laughs> yeah, I'm still. Um, Let's hope that pen doesn't break. Tweeting straight fire on on uh, on Twitter. 
um if if you're not following me you're really missing out um and you can um it, uh, like i'll give it out this week um, just once <laughs> just once uh, to reward the listeners it's a q u i n n i u q a um same forwards as backwards <laughs> and if you want to check out something um it's not a movie it's a tv show that I um, enjoyed because it's kind of it, it, I I guess it's kind of my thing was um, Black Monday. Um, I enjoyed that with uh, Don Cheadle. Oh, um, oh, this one at the financial crisis. Exactly about about. But well, yeah, I mean, obviously the, not the recent uh, one. Black the Monday 80s one, yeah, in, in the eighties, yeah, right? Yeah, was it 87, 89? 87. Yeah, eighty seven. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, I've heard good things about that. Where is that available? It's fun. Like it, it's 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 on. It's available on Sky. It's oh, cool. um it's a uh, Showtime. So I guess it's like Sky Atlantic. So but you, you can get it. You can get it yeah, in anytime. the um yeah anytime on the um if you have Sky on the um like the catch app. up or yeah. or what do you call it? box sets? Yeah. There we go. Oh right. those. <laughs> gotcha. And Phil. Um, well, I know it's uh, probably not a lot of cultural conversation at the moment, but I'm going to give it a shout out anyway. Uh, Chernobyl. Yes. Holy Christ. Chernobyl's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal Chernobyl's piece of Chernobyl's the one most disturbing thing I've seen in quite some time. It's it's very much, it reminds me a lot of the BBC miniseries of the 80s. I'm thinking things like, say, GDH uh, and even like Edge of Darkness and stuff like that as well. Mm. Uh, it's, it's shot in a very just kind of low, fi- I suppose it's a bit like, in one way it rises with three colours in that it's, it's something far bigger than we can imagine happening to people on a very low key level. Yeah, on, on the ground, it's phenomenal. But it's just—it's terrifying. I'm absolutely horrified, and uh, it's, thank God there's some great actors who I recognise leading me through it. Mm. Uh, and only marginally more depressing than the last time I saw Stellan Skarsgård and Emily Watson on screen together. Refresh my memory. Breaking the waves. Okay. Um. But yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I would. Yeah. Yeah. I, I exactly. that stellar skateboards in there. <laughs> Is that <laughs> apparently they kept changing his Wikipedia name to <laughs> Stellar Skateboard? Amazing. That's not fair to Mr. Skarsgård. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I would also recommend that actually, um, and I'd also recommend if you haven't watched them, and it's very strange that you got to the end of the podcast without doing it. But if you haven't seen the other two films in the trilogy, I'd hardly recommend them. I'd also recommend the soundtrack as well, which is available to stream on Spotify. We'll include that in the show notes. Um, and even just like some of the interviews that we have with Kislowski as well, well we have. Uh, but like some, <laughs> of, the inter- Darren, some of the interviews yeah. that we have done. Yes, personally and professionally. <laughs> beyond the grave. Yes. We have so, them now. <laughs> they are ours. All your Kislowski interviews are belong to us. But some of the interviews that we have uh, from the archives. Like the Michael of the- Jackson. <laughs> Owning the Beatles. Is yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the New York Times... Next week we're asking Orson Welles what he thinks about <laughs> Ted Turner's efforts to colorize Citizen Kane. Uh, we'll be back we have next the skeleton week. skeleton of the elephant man. <laughs> um, but we'll be back next week when we'll be continuing our miniature 1994 season. So we've done Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. People, we've done Three Colors that? Red. I mean, there's only one direction we can go from here. We'll be talking about The Lion King next weekend to mark the release of Disney's 2019... Live action in inverted commas 
version of the Lion King. If people ask for a 1994 trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> We're giving it to them. <laughs> exactly. My, I mean, my, my <laughs> question is more, did people ask for a 2019 <laughs> remake of the Lion King? Well, I mean, this but is, else, we'll talk about that more on that episode. Well, that's exactly. Phil will be joining us. Graham will be joining us. We'll have two Titans, two of our most frequently recurring guests on the same podcast fight, together. Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> yeah, well, I like Phil <laughs> and I like Graham. <laughs> but <laughs> what, what, what do we put them, them together? <laughs> but I can't decide which of them I like most. <laughs> fight, 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 fight. fight. Um, and then after that, we're actually going to jump straight into our 1999 season as well, because it's it's the 25th anniversary of 1994, which was a great year in cinema. But it's the 20th anniversary of 1999, which was a huge year in cinema. So we'll be talking about films including like The Matrix, Fight Club, uh, the. Green Mile, to pick another example, The Sixth Sense, all these great movies on the list. And don't forget Baby Geniuses as well. Um, so we look forward to that in the coming weeks and months. Uh, until then, take it easy, guys. Bye. Au revoir. Bye-bye. Enchlement. <laughs>